Boom. WNBC. Gentlemen, we'll do it live. Gentlemen, what are the four pillars? You boozing over there? Are you? Oh shit! The four pillars, guy. Excellent. Uh, excrement. Excrement. Travesty. Horror. Decadence. Excrement. Yes. <laughs> oh shit. I don't know if excrement fits in that one anymore. It sounds like things you like. Ah, no shit. So now you, what do you, you landed for on yourself. I happen to be a scatologist. <laughs> landed on the fecal. Like Mozart and Mike Patton. So, yeah, cheers. Uh, are you drinking anything? You want to toast uh, to Mighty My Mutt? Coffee. <laughs> coffee, smart man. I'm drinking Soul Boxers bourbon old-fashioned mix. This there is not go. an official sponsor, but we are homeboys with the dudes at Soul Boxer, and they did hook us up with some bottles. Little Soul Boxer hat here. This shit is great. We hope to make them a sponsor, but you fuckers have to subscribe for anyone to want to be our sponsor. Fucking cheap bastards. <laughs> Actually, that's not even money. That's subscribe. I'm talking. I feel like the only people watch this do subscribe. So we're just right, yelling at our only fans. We probably have less now after this. Uh, anyway, we're here with Sean fucking Hanson. My brother. From yo, yo, mother. yo. Best friend 20 years ago. We were just explaining to him, and he has no hard feelings because he's kind of similar where we grew up moving every two years or whatever and would make these tight ass friendships. But if we kept up with everyone, there'd be like this Rolodex of hundreds of people and shit by now. So we go the opposite way and just if like, if we became great friends with you and then moved on, you never heard from us again, sorry and shit, no offense, but uh, that's just the lifestyle. So yeah. we haven't talked to Sean hardly at all in 20 plus years right it's, it's right. kind of cool to do it this way too to circle back after a long time and catch up and have all this stuff to talk about and see where you're at in your lives and everything you know there's that's yeah. definitely more interesting than hearing about how work was that week and shit you know? right <laughs> yeah um so, so i recognize people need that sadly i just don't want to be that for anyone including we got all our stupid projects and shit too that consumed us for years you know just trying right. to get you know just our heads in the clouds with all that but anyway so we're here to talk to sean uh the actual legitimate purpose of this or the you know official i'll say purpose of this was to discuss your favorite movie which is oh from me um yes. dead poet society. <laughs> dead poet society yes that was Probably. actually yeah like i mean i know I think I, I first brought that to you, right? Like, uh, uh, or did, uh, I forget, but. No, I, I believe so. I remember watching it with you. Yeah. And, 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 and being part of it. And, it's uh, uh, an incredible movie. It's, it really is. And I, I was like, when we ask all our friends what their favorite movie is for the purpose of the show, for you to have answered that that's still your favorite movie was so heartwarming to me, man. Like. <laughs> And I didn't even like guess what your favorite movie would be. But like when you threw it out there, I was like, yes, you know, I right. mean, we were barbaric yawping through the streets and shit and carpe diem and all that, you know, back yep. in the day. I so. remember I remember going walking it was after a Red Sox game, I think, in Fenway going up the subway or or going. 
maybe we're going into Fenway, going up the stair, the subway stairs, and out of nowhere, I just did a barbaric yelp, Fuck and yes, everybody yes. stopped around us, like, "What the hell are you doing?" <laughs> That's what we used to do, dude. We were definitely was, getting our dead poet on for a minute, man. Um, yeah, we were. Few years. Do you remember that, that time that you and I were helping one of your friends with some job they had of clearing trees, cutting trees down and shit? Do you remember that? And uh, I, I was like, "Give me a barbaric yelp, dude. Yelp, dude." Yep, I remember and, that. And you did. You you unleashed a fucking epic yawp. And then we looked up and the owner of the house, like the customer was on his balcony, just like, what the fuck was like just this old gray haired dude like oh uh, there's psychopaths with chainsaws in my yard. <laughs> <laughs> and and we just laughed our asses off. It was a I remember what? that too. It wasn't yeah. a yawp, but I remember inhaling a can of dust off and yelling at mm. people on the tea. Live your lives. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That might have been more Braveheart inspired, but mm -hmm. definitely. <laughs> Those were the days. Dead Post Society, though. So, do you think though the first time you saw it was with Chris? Because yeah, you very well could have seen it earlier because it would have been. Yeah, because I was questioning myself when I said that. I thought I introduced it, you to it, but um, then I was like, well, I mean, it was pretty well known, so maybe you had heard of it or um, not seen it. You know, I don't see a lot of movies. And and that period of time when when we were um, roommates and and friends mm -hmm. and and we were tight, um, I rewatched a lot of movies. <laughs> yeah, so, we were all into that shit. Yeah, yeah so um, yeah, I remember watching that. That might partially explain why, after all these years, it's still your favorite movie because you're not a huge movie guy except for that period. So yeah, um, do you find that the message of it that feels so empowering when you're young the carpe diem sees the day thing i don't know about you but i feel like i totally squandered that shit and like i should have been watching this movie weekly throughout my yeah. life and maybe i would have made more of my I, life and shit i remember when you guys were talking about leaving um greater boston area and heading west and doing um screenwriting trying to get into the business um you had this is even before i had my kid and all this stuff this is mm -hmm. way back 20 um, years at least 21 years yeah really. and and you guys were talking about going going west and and i remember chris inviting me to to, to join you guys and go out there and and i often wonder mm. how things would have been different had i had i um That's a big one made that choice difference difference choice so yeah it's been uh yeah <laughs> a lot of stuff has gone on there since two, there were since, two paths uh, in the wood or two roads in the wood i forget the exact quote mm -hmm. but it you know I that, took the that, one less traveled i took the one less traveled yeah i guess that's what we ended up doing um but yeah that's exactly the moment you're talking about where you do see two it's that goodwill hunting. I got to go see about a girl shit, you know. Ooh, I got to go right. see about screenwriting. You made the right see choice, trust me. <laughs> I'm fucking going to die. <laughs> oh, I, I don't know. <laughs> I uh, in goodwill hunting, I wonder if in goodwill hunting, if 20 years from then, he's like, fuck, she turned out to be a bitch. God, that what chick. the I fuck was I thinking? Yeah. Psycho. Right. I can, got daddy issues. You knew that from the movie. <laughs> the girl I was dating at the time who ended up being my wife and the mother of my child turned out to be a mega, <laughs> mega bitch. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I met her once. I believe I'm pretty sure it was her that because uh, you went Fitchburg, back to visit. Once, I went right? to visit you once and we yep, remember, I remember we met that. Up in this park and stuff. I'm pretty sure. That, yeah, that was her. It yep. was. Uh, yeah. Um, but anyway, not that that I have anything more to say. I just remember having met her. But um. <laughs> 
Yeah, she was a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, you can do way better. Um, Dead Poet Society, did you have any teachers like a Keating growing up, or did your teachers all suck? I feel like all mine were half-assed. I, I know, always wish lunch I palers, had like like, Yeah, I had a physics teacher uh, junior year that really sparked my interest um in just physics and and that's and awesome the science of it great subject too. um but other yes, than that definitely like not, Carl not too many territory. not too many have uh inspired me mm -hmm. um it was kind of a um just a daily routine of going to school doing the work and leaving i'm not gonna lie when i watch this movie i kind of come away sort of wanting to be a teacher because mm -hmm. I wonder if there's any more important like my wife is a teacher who works with deaf and hard of hearing kids in the inner city and shit and it's I don't believe in God but it's fucking God's work as you would say you know mm -hmm. and uh, then I do this stupid shit with make em ups and right like what how we I mean I guess you're you're improving the world in some way but you know when you make art and everything of course but yeah, it doesn't seem as some people would say you know, if you make yeah. cactus jack you made the world a worse place <laughs> right I, that I, wasn't the I, intent but <laughs> <laughs> i don't know that i'd want to be a um a teacher in, yeah, in me neither. 2021 it it's impossible Calling. to to yeah do anything without offending somebody stepping yeah. on landmines well there are other ways to teach i mean even just having these kind of conversations teach and we're certainly right, to right. offend we're certain to offend too as we you know so no yeah i'm sure that. well the thing about keating was in this movie it proves that even then you couldn't be that kind of teacher yeah that's what right? fucked up. that was the message yeah. of the movie exactly yeah yep. total line you gotta total mm -hmm. line you gotta do what the standard education says you need to do you can't divert from that at all if you do you're 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 <laughs> you're doing satan's work i got friends who are so hard on this kids should be back in school and all this shit and i just i don't care like my seven-year-old i feel like he's gonna be all right i mean i got friends with kids a similar age as mine and they're like these are crucial years and they need to be socializing i'm like I don't know, man. Sometimes I feel like the school system might do more damage than good. Right. And I, I mean, this. they didn't experience my fucking, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, experience of going through school because I definitely, <laughs> I don't know if that improved me in any way. Right. Like it, fucking, it did more harm than good in many ways. Right. And yeah, uh, absolutely. Just depending on what situation you're in, the bullying situation. Getting socialized sucked. <laughs> right. <laughs> the way I experienced it. Exactly. <laughs> It's like, yeah, if you're the quarterback who gets the chick and or right. you're the, you know uh, we we grew you're an up introvert. There's 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 no socializing anyway. Well, even just we, the rote the standardized testing and all it's just yeah, come the, on, the guys, what are we doing? Oh, so just just like the, the uh, they're soul draining you know what i mean to me like showing up at school the first day and everything i mean even the buildings themselves the types of schools i went to you, you see some of these ones like the fucking it's like a palace on a hill some of these schools but that's not what our experience of school was it was just like fucking soviet era fucking communist looking buildings and shit you know what i mean like all painted like gray and yellow and all just uh, like they just you want to puke looking at them that's one great thing in dead poets man the fucking atmosphere you know the um, romance of the campus and the fall weather and everything 
like I felt like just watching it again. I, you're living in scrubby ass Southern California, which is where I miss people, the like, East Coast, man. Rest of the country, but yeah, like it, it just made me even feel like I was there. You know, just the le- falling leaves and the the crispness in the air, and again, the campus itself in that type of environment is just intoxicating. Right. All right, I told you we had a surprise on this podcast, right? Yeah. Do you have any inkling what it might be? Absolutely Jay, not. Jay and I are going to get naked. <laughs> I don't want to Like see old that. times. Like <laughs> old times. <laughs> no. We got a couple of guests. I'm going to admit right now. Let's see. Let's see if these guests pop up. We got one on video there. Can you read that title? Artist formerly known as Nawanda. No way gail hansen legend charlie dalton nawanda gail hansen from the dead poet society and also on the line we don't have video for you are you only doing voice there al oh no i'm i got video let's see all right we're not seeing you might have to click a button start video oh here it is yeah there we go check this out none other than mr meeks yes Um, love you guys just yeah absolutely <laughs> dude legend just rewatch the movie and uh, man i feel like i've known you guys my whole life you know? <laughs> and, just watched last week yeah and we don't have the full cast but just you two are up there in the pantheon of the keating mm-hmm. students for sure i wanted to be charlie dalton man i wanted to be fucking nuanted and <laughs> he was the man I think my favorite part during filming was when um, we were a couple days into it, um, and um, and Ethan and Bobby were like, "I want to play that role." It's funny because they're like the kind of co-leads, you could argue, but yeah. you're the role. Right. You, you got the juice, man. And yes. then you brought the girls to the cave. <laughs> Meeks, is the Meeks was the guy who first said Carpe Diem, seize the day. Yeah, He's yeah. the one who actually Ooh, the definition. Line. Yes, you got the line. That's huge, dude. Meeks and, was uh, super endearing, man. <laughs> the Carpe I also have Radio Free America, which I'm very yes. proud of. Yes. Uh, the thing about Meeks is, is in the uh, Dead Poets Twitter sphere, He's known as Meeks, the freak between the sheets. <laughs> yes. I can see that. I can see that. It's very true. <laughs> totally good. Yes. A light bloomer. I have a yep. follow. That Revenge of the Nerds thing. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Sex. Jocks think about you know sports all day. We think about sex. Right. <laughs> so I love the radio shit with Pitts and yourself, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you guys prefer us to call you Al and Gail, or if we say yeah, me, call me Charlie Dalton here and shit. If you still us. go by Nuanda, I would. Oh, yeah. I, my, my, my friends and my family call me G. All right, G. Okay. So oh, you G. feel free to call me G. G my man. G dog. Or, or whatever. You should hear what my wife calls me, but that's not oh, for polite yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I still answer, though. Yes. Yes. Right. Um, you must be talking to me. <laughs> I want to ask you guys one thing we've wondered is that movie had such an impact on so many young men like us when we saw it, the whole seize the day carpe diem message resonated hardcore. Um, every time I watch it, it still does. Unfortunately, like with most great movies, that feeling lasts a few days until I go back to 
just sitting on the couch and not seizing the day. Reality whatsoever. hammers itself. Yeah. Reality. Yeah, going back to reality. <laughs> right. But I, I was wondering how profoundly it impacted you guys being a part of it, living with it, being around fucking Robin Williams, who to us is a god or you know at least some kind of demigod and should be on some kind of mount rushmore somewhere um and i tears in my eyes watching the movie this time just it's the first time i've watched it since he left us um yeah but did did any of that have that effect on you the same effect that the movie had on all of us did you feel it tenfold being a part of it or was it when you make a film the process sucks all that out of it or i don't know were you barbaric yawping and shouting carpe Sucking diem from the, the rooftops from life. Right. <laughs> you know, after shooting it. Well, I think we literally were, you know, literally were doing that as we're filming it. Sure. I mean, I, I had a profound effect on me. I, I was in the moment, you know, uh, living those moments with the whole cast, Robin and mm -hmm. uh, Gail, everybody. So, uh, yeah, I, I, it certainly did. I, I remember as a got a 17 year old pipsqueak <laughs> being very profound like just being so uh uh so caught up in in what Swept was going on and and yeah and and how you know profound the the script was too mm. i i uh i felt very privileged at that time to be a part of something like that but you know when you're making it you don't really, I don't think you fully grasp. I, I, I didn't, none of us really knew how popular the sure. film was going to be. Yeah. We knew it was a good script and we had Robin Williams and Peter Weir. These are all great elements, but it could never be seen. You know, right. that's just the, it's, it's reality. Possible. Right. That, that's the reality of it. So it's a, it's a job. It was a fun job. I had a great, I mean, it was one of the best jobs I've ever, I've ever done, have yet uh, to have one something that is uh, so such a such an amazing you know uh, ensemble of people you can yes. really feel it, you know um, and just being around Gail Hansen I mean you just can feel the energy <laughs> that's one thing I wanted to ask you but uh, kind of magnetism coming wanna, off of the <laughs> we want to hear from him as well but that character Charlie Dalton I wonder was Gail that at all for you guys on set? Were you a bit of a Charlie Dalton Gail, or was that a yeah, stretch for you as you an are. actor? You know, are you um, more introverted? Well, as a human being, I'm more introverted. I mean, it it, it took me took me a while to you know um, put my finger on it. But there's this short film called um, "Who Am I This Time?" Jonathan Demi directed, Sren and, and Chris Walken in it. And, and it was like, that's exactly it. If, uh, I mean, I, I, I don't know if I'm a little bit spectrum-y or what, but um, I don't know, maybe the, my uh, upbringing, the environment, but it led me to be, you know, um, either all on or all off. Mm -hmm. And it was working with Sandy Meisner that gave me the tools to, I don't know, saved my life. Sounds wow. weird, but not unlike, you know, the not thing weird with, at all. With, with Keating for the kids, but 
very much of like every time I come into an environment, it's, you know, what's the world creation? What are the rules of the world? Who are the main characters? What is it that they do? Um, who has the power dynamic? What are the relationships? Are you saying um, you take carry all that Meisner technique over into real life when you go in a room? You Every day. Every That's interaction. Awesome. Interesting. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's literally the only thing that can ground me. Hmm. Um, but, um, and then it's like, okay, now that I know that, who's this person right in front of me? What is the relationship, i.e., how do I connect with this person and relate to them? And in doing so, just by the sheer power of listening and bringing them into me, reinforces them to trust me and open up to me. So then they show themselves, as it were. And it's like, that I can work with. I can connect with that. I can talk to that. I can connect with it in there. I can bring that into me here. You know, everything else disappears, all the anxiety and all that stuff like that. Um, so was I, Charlie? Um, yeah, I guess, you know, I was, I was a good decade older than all the rest of the kids. Mm, um, they'd gone around um, North America, all the main cities to cast. Um, they'd been to England to cast. They'd been to Canada to cast. They'd seen hundreds and hundreds of, of young young guys. And uh, I went in and read for the role of Pitts initially. Oh, crazy. Y'all could have been radio buddies, man. <laughs> <laughs> what made you choose Pitts? They, they, they didn't, I didn't choose it. I just got, oh. just got fucking lucky to get an audition. Okay. <laughs> oh, I see. Uh, I see. Okay. And, and so then... Uh, I guess the tapes went to uh, to to Peter, and he was there with his wife Wendy uh, Stites, aka Wendy Weir, who um, was production was she production designer? I'm pretty sure. And so. so they were sitting back in the hotel room and just going through the Pitts characters, and and she went stop, go back, and Peter was like. Okay, because he trusts her impl implicitly. And Peter's the one who told me this story. We were on a on a gondola in hey. Venice. Wait, one second. I don't want to interrupt, but we have another guest who's hopping in. Dylan Cussman, who played Cameron, the fake house. He's hopping in. But I do want to hear the rest of the story. Venice. Bring him in. After we see Oh, dude. There he is. Dylan. Hey, Dylan. Legend. Hey. Another legend joins the club. Yes. Wow. This is amazing. Man, the legend, this is so not surreal. another legend. The legend. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the yes. only Cameron. How you doing? Pivot, pivotal. The, the poet How's with the well, toughest job, the hardest role to carry in that film was was, yeah. was and he did it effortlessly. You were amazing, it, man. He said it were, a million times. It's true. You're so beautifully unlikable. <laughs> no, he's not unlikable though, because great me, acting. No, I actually found him endearing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and they're all you, you relate. You can relate to it. They're all kids. You got to keep that in mind. They're all seventeen-year-old kids right. who don't know shit, and they're all doing what their parents tell them to do, and they're all modeling behavior or following behavior that's been modeled for them. So Cameron, we'll get to him in a second. I don't. I just. I don't blame him in the way. A lot of people, or I did when I was younger, and I saw it even. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. But so. Gail, do you want to finish uh, when you were telling the story about when you you auditioned for Pitts, and 
uh, <laughs> Peter Weir uh, and his wife of Wendy was it was were watching the reels yeah. for the pits auditions and she said stop and rewind and you were on a gondola with Peter telling you this story. Yeah, uh, we you want to finish right. that story up? With all the boys were in Venice for the for for the Venice Film Festival for a showing of that of the movie there, um, and it was already a hit because it come out in uh, in uh, uh, July. This was later in the year. Um, but uh, we we're in this gondola and I was sitting there with Peter and Wendy and Peter told me, he says, she, she said, stop, go back. Stop there on me and said, that's your Charlie. And she's the reason I got, I got uh, brought back in. That's amazing. And, you know, Peter trusts her so much. He was like, okay. Um, but, you know, I don't know what, what Tom would say, but I always got the, the feeling that the reason they hadn't found the Charlie was because the role he wrote inherently was older. It was much, much more informed than the young guys trying to figure it out. Mm -hmm. And that really dawned on me when we were about to walk out of the classroom, go downstairs and do the walk your own walk thing. And I was waiting for other people to go out and, and rob him because he was always improvising, working off of what existed in the moment and turned back and went, you know, will you be joining us kind of thing. And I looked at him and it just like was like a lightning bolt through me and went, oh, I don't need the lessons all these other guys need. I just needed somebody to say, I see it's already in you. Mm. Go do. And it was in that moment of that improv that I went, oh, OK. So and then downstairs when, you know, I didn't walk and again, Robin turned around. He was like, what the fuck are you doing? You and, and improvise that. Mm. That feels like a movie. Oh, moment awesome! Itself, right? you know, I love that moment. Yeah, it was just that day galvanized. Exercising my right. I don't need the lessons. I just yeah. needed the green light, which mm -hmm. helped me then figure out the rest of of mm. the moments in the in the film because he doesn't have a through line like the rest of the guys do. He doesn't have an arc. He just shows up and plays jazz. Yeah. You know, he's he just improvs. Yeah. You know, like 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 Robin did in the moment. Well, he's kind of. Fortunately, he triumphs in every yes, one of those exactly. moments, but they don't string together as an arc right. on the page. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why a lot of people auditioned for who were wonderful, but it, it took somebody who's a decade older to play it. Mm. At least that's the lie I tell myself. Charlie Dawn does feel like that R.P. McMurphy to a degree, that yes. bender who doesn't arc, but kind of instigates an arc in others he's kind of a catalyst mm -hmm. character you know what mm -hmm. i mean um but it's i can see keating awakening in him that same spirit that was awakened in you by telling you to just be what it is already in you you know what i mean that's interesting right. dylan it was how did you made. come to the role of cameron dylan did you audition for cameron or was it another role or what no i auditioned for cameron from the beginning and i auditioned for an iteration of the movie before peter and robin had come on when it was jeff canoe and yeah. richard richard dreyfus i guess was going to star in it maybe or something like that. anyway so it was two I years Beeson was considered at one point or attached yeah. Yeah. chris chris Golay Dustin, was Dustin Hoffman. yeah so i was just i was in the audition process and then the movie stopped and then i didn't hear anything and then a year later i heard that peter weir had come on board and was looking at some of the people who had auditioned for it previously and i got brought back in hmm. wow that's amazing wow fortuitous how do you feel about 
Cameron as a character because he is vilified. By I love him. He was right. Him. He was right. You know what? You're right because the movie. Well, look, no, listen. No. Yeah, that was the lesson of the these, movie. Look what all these these guys did to Neil. They, they got, got destroyed. Killed, oh my god! <laughs> you guys got Neil killed. Proof positive oh, that Dylan so is the hero of his own story. You heard it here, folks. <laughs> I had a I had a college professor who had an awesome reading of Forrest Gump that thematically Forrest Gump is about conform or die. Forrest Gump, sir, yes, sir, conforms, does everything he's told. Okay, he's, he's all right. Asked. Jenny, who is counterculture and pushes back, gets fucking AIDS and dies, right? Mm -hmm. So <laughs> to a degree, that's what you're talking about, is that his character conformed and lived to fight another day and maybe had kids and was successful in life while Charlie Dalton might have got kicked out of school and Keating got fired and Neil yep. ended up killing himself. I mean, yep. I had the great honor of working with the, um, the great Cliff Robertson a couple of years after we made Dead Poets Society. I was in a movie called Wild Hearts Can't Be Broken. And it starred Gabrielle Anwar as this girl, a real, a real life girl who was a di did diving horses and um, carnival acts through the, 30, the 20s and 30s. And she went blind because she landed in the water with her eyes open once and it busted up her cornea oh, and she shit. went blind. But she kept yeah, diving horses through her life. She was this wow. blind diving horse girl. That's and they made a movie mythical. at Disney about her and I played this little part and it was about her and her journey. But Cliff Robertson played the old carny guy who was running the, the diving horse act. And I'll never forget when they started the EPK with Cliff Robertson sitting in the chair and they said, so Cliff, what's this movie about? And Cliff Robertson said, well, it's about this old carny hand. <laughs> and he's running this carnival and he finds this girl and he told the whole story of the movie his through movie. the perspective of his character because as far as he was concerned he was the star of the movie so mm. actors are kind of constrained i think in a certain way to telling a story from their character's perspective That's and i beautiful. was right I and now that. neil is gone right so what, is, what is the story to me that's so hardcore it kills me Damn, like, i want to hit, hit you again <laughs> survival, survival of the fittest shit, man. <laughs> the name is Wanda. Fucking no, that is interesting though. Al, I would love yeah. to hear what you think. Meeks is what? What was Meeks's POV of this story? What is the story through the eyes of Meeks? You know, um, uh, through the eyes of Meeks. I mean, that's the sequel. Another unfortunate <laughs> last name. Yes. Some workplace shooter years later. And shit, uh, <laughs> let's do it. Uh, no, I do wonder though. And this is for all of you guys. I would love to know where you think your characters ended up as well. Like you can make that part of your, your thing. Like, do you think? Well, yeah. yeah. Where are they today? I mean, I've, well? I've already, we've actually already discussed some of something like this before. Right. Cool. You know, in my mind, Meeks. If you think about the how old the kids or the guys were, Meeks went went to went to Vietnam. Mm. Right, mm. a couple of the oh, guys yeah. I considered that 1959 into the 60s, mm. you know. Mm -hmm. So, uh, that, wow. that's that's what in, in my radio, story, he was a radio say, operator, he very well yeah. would have been a radio guy, which would have made him a target and more likely to get killed, too. Exactly. His, his, I think Wild. he had some sort of uh affection for gadgetry and electronics, and then maybe he went into the military, maybe he'd be an officer. officer. Military man, Most you likely, know, yep. and we'd have to go to college, you know, yeah, but, right? But that, he was in was prep school for college, so it makes me really sad picturing Meeks getting just right. ventilated in the jungle and dying. Oh man, that's yeah. old yeah. and shit. He got a but purple heart, like man. I kind of like that. Uh, Where do you think that's true? It's poetic. 
so to speak. Yeah, there's something about that that I like. That you know, he kind of reminds me of. Um, do you see um, more American graffiti? The guy, uh, no. Toad. The guy. Uh, you've seen American graffiti? Yes. 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 Of course. Yeah. Okay. So you know, um, Martin Smith. Yes. Thank you. Yep. He winds up in Vietnam right. in more American mm -hmm. graffiti. You know what I mean? Like that's mm -hmm. the correct. Thing. He winds up in, in Vietnam. And, I mean, I won't go into the into mm -hmm. what you know, the storyline of more American graffiti. I mean, all but, these. But I, uh, I guess I kind of like. I kind of thought of Meeks as that character, as like that nerdy character that you know, as he ventures off into the '60s. Um, that's you know, a lot of young men wound up that that way. Yeah, I remember my father mm -hmm. was kind of the same age. Yeah, uh, I was too. And, and, and he has a lot of buddies who went off to Vietnam. It's very tragic. Mm -hmm tragic stories of his friends that whole generation of uh young men a lot of them uh, just decimated you know from that war those are the kind of men that go to war keating students you know right. young men yeah. right oh yeah all kinds all kinds of kids went all kinds of young men went to the war to the vietnam oh, I, war you know? i'd be curious to hear what the other guys think their characters ended up mm -hmm. what situations they ended up uh G yeah, i just meant young man. men in particular not you know yes. that demographic exactly but um yeah uh, gail there's a point in the movie where neil very early on is talking to you guys about disobeying his dad and you're kind of telling him tell him to go fuck himself essentially and he's like yeah. oh easy for you to say mr future lawyer mr future banker right yeah do you think and banking he had family money was in dalton's future well, uh, honestly, I, I mean, because there's a strong Twitter following out there for this thing. And and so I've had the opportunity to really mull it over um, for a long, long time and fan fiction, as it were. I Ooh, think that homie got kicked out of well, <laughs> right. we know somebody else. And um, you know, <laughs> ended up at at, at, at Groton, and uh, Dylan still defends Cameron. Yeah. So, just to finish, went to an Ivy League school, did the five deferments in order to stay out of Vietnam. Mm -hmm. Like Meek's, Meek's family, mine had money, and in order to leg out, not having to go, probably got yeah. married, had a couple mm -hmm. kids. You know, but before that had been, you know, part of the um, beat scene, the folk music scene in, in Greenwich Village and mm -hmm. went into the jazz. And then sells out and goes to Wall Street or politics or something. Yeah, absolutely. And so, Probably. you know, married with kids. <laughs> Cynical outcome. Got to get the money. Uh, ends up divorced with a trophy, a, a new trophy wife ends up embroiled in the SNL crisis and loses everything, burns his career. And um, because here's the thing, it's really easy to paint like yourself in a self or your character or whatever in a self-idealized way of like fucking everything worked out. He was a hero. Mm -hmm. But the nail that stands the tallest gets the most hammer. And the truth of the matter is, is that, I mean, we've all run into people for 30 odd years who say, you know, I wish I would have gone to Weldon. Like, no, you don't wish you would have gone to Weldon. You wish you would have gone to Weldon. You wish you would have been in Keating's class. You wish you would have been one right. of the seven poets in the right, Dead yeah. Poets Society. Yeah, the rest and were. The rest of the school, none of them knew about that until the 
phone call from God um, mm -hmm. assembly. <laughs> One of the greatest moments in film history. Yes. Ultimately, it's right there in plain sight that, you know, carpe diem all you want. Mm -hmm. We fought the law and the law won. We, yeah. I got expelled. Robin's career is in flames. A kid died. The, the school ended up covering its ass and the powers that be, you know, went back to business as usual. That place did not change. We did. We lost. The, stand, the standing on the desks moment at the end was so triumphant, you know, in the face of all that. Yeah. Just, but what are the repercussions of it and everything? Yes, like how, I'm sure they all face consequences now. You know, Dylan, the rest of your life. I sure. think, uh, Dylan, you had argued because originally Cameron was supposed to also stand right. And I, I had read this at least that you had argued to have him not stand because it didn't fit his character. And we are acquiesced. I actually agreed, agreed with you that that uh, he, he shouldn't stand. Is that is that accurate? I didn't insist. I just asked after oh, you on, suggested on, on my least. first meeting with Peter, which is what I feel like might have given me a leg up on getting the role. Peter, I, he knew I had read the whole script and he said, do you have any questions? And I, I had this moment of deliberation of should I bring up any sort of critical analysis of the script right now, or should mm -hmm. I just say, yes, it's great. And I'd love to do it. And, I and just, you seize the day. Chance. And I said, yeah. I don't think Cameron would stand on the desk. I love it. Yes. Right. Like, thank you. I agree with yes. you. Thank you Boom. very much. And and he ended up not only not having Cameron not stand up, half the class isn't standing mm -hmm. up yep. because Peter a few guys looked there. around and he said, guess what? Half of you wouldn't stand up. Yeah. So that's the way it's going to be. And I love the guys. Kind of iconic image tell. at the end of the movie of like, holy shit, not everybody would get up there. Yeah, but you got to right. love the guys who weren't part of the dead poets who did there's yeah. a couple guys that that is those true are too. amazing That's badass. And you know keating got through to them even though they weren't part of this it's my okay. favorite moment i mean it's, it's the reason why it's the, one of the most iconic images in the movie it's because true. it really is in it's movie so history. real it's not it's not like the way you know it, it, it would have had a much different effect if everyone had got on their desk i think that the movie would right. not have resonated the way that it did Absolutely. it's the tragedy it's, it's like the a cross-section of conformity is and it's so powerful it's so strong and it's so difficult to break um that's that's the message that that really yeah. sent it wouldn't feel ask, like an act of rebellion ask today's, ask today's gop <laughs> <laughs> i don't know how much time we got left to get into politics but uh <laughs> we can go there if want, rip. the show goes anywhere oh um, do we just lose no, uh, we just lost Al. oh he's back Al. Yeah, okay. i want to hear about sean you want to hear yeah. about me? <laughs> yes. And I was going to say, any questions you got, Sean? Shoot right. too, but no, I I am just really enjoying listening to all of you guys talking about it. Um, Which I was brought into this movie. I I was um, introduced to this movie through Chris. Mm -hmm. I would say twenty years ago, we were roommates in in Boston. Um, wow, a long time ago. And, I had three uh, copies of this movie at one point somehow. Yeah, I've owned several. <laughs> I mean, at the same time. So, yeah. <laughs> so when 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 Chris and Jay were, were looking to, to leave Boston, Jay was going to, to Milwaukee to go to school, I think. And Chris was going to to uh, L.A. to, to try to get into business. Uh, I remember him inviting me to, to join him. And uh, at the time, I didn't have anything really holding me back from doing it, but I chose not to. Um, there was a, a, a girl that I was interested to uh, interested in at the time. So I, I went and did travel. that. Um, 
So 20 years later, I'm <laughs> no longer with her. I've got a 17-year-old son, and I'm sitting here talking to you guys. It's pretty awesome. He stayed in Boston to see about a girl exactly. instead of leaving. Right. He made um, the right choice trying to get into Hollywood. Was the, were you starting to ask mistake. a question, Gail? <laughs> like which poet or something yeah, did he identify which, with or something like that? Which one would you have been? I remember you telling me this in the past, but I'm curious if oh, what shit. your answer will be That's now. Good. Um, I would say I'm Neil. Um, interesting. I interesting. I always was forced um, as a child, as a young man, mm, because of the parents to, to do things a certain way by by my my parents, um, particularly my stepfather, mm. and uh, yeah, I've um, met him a couple times. Right. Um, it's it's funny though because I could I could relate to Todd too. Todd was was incredibly mm-hmm. bright, but he had no confidence, and 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 I can could relate to that. And that's probably why that I I, I really enjoy this movie as much as I do is because I can can relate to so many different characters on so many different levels. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's At it's really um, an amazing piece of it. You know, to see, you know, Todd stepping up on, on, on his desk at the end because he truly loved John Keating so much that 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 he absolutely had to do it. Um, it wasn't it wasn't um, it wasn't even a choice for him. Um, you know, some of the other guys in, in that group that did stand up, it, it, it was more of a choice. But for him, it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and that goes back to the barbaric yelp and and and. And and John Keating making Todd Anderson um, get up and and recite that that poem that Todd had memorized. Um, all these other guys were were going up there and they were talking and they were doing their their um, poem and they were um, they were reading it or it was really short and sweet like 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 yours, Gail. The cat um, sat on the mat was my favorite. <laughs> I love that know, guy. So, you know, yes. and 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 like I said, I could really relate to to so many different of the characters in the, the movie. Um, it is a huge tragedy um, to, you know, for Neil, who wanted so badly to experience different things in his life um, that his dad wasn't willing to let him do. Um, because I feel like his father didn't. Um, didn't experience the things that that he wanted you know he wanted to be a doctor or whatever but i don't think that 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 he wanted his son to to get into the arts or or do things that that won't give him an income and i think the income and 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 status really meant a lot to his dad Mm. hey guys did your parents pushback on any of you becoming actors did any of you share neil's story or were they all pretty cool supportive not to cut you off sean excellent shit okay. by the way love yeah, you awesome. dude anybody uh, my parents were always very into it that my 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 parents were both very supportive of me becoming an actor from a very early age i was That's one of the cool. things that they uh both my mom and my dad in fact my father when i told him that i would got wanted to get serious about it uh, I, I told him specifically that I wanted to go to the performing arts high school of Philadelphia, which meant we had to like move. And I was only like 12. I didn't really understand oh, what that means. Wow. 
you know, like we moved move for that like, purpose. Wow. We have to uproot our lives in New Jersey and move to Pennsylvania to do that's amazing. That's school to go to. Wow. And he did it to his, to his credit. Like looking back at it now, I'm like, going, oh shit, that was kind of like a, to your own a man. big ask. That's but I gave him a choice. I said I either wanted to go to uh, Votech or I want to go to Performing Arts High School. But if we go to Performing Arts High, we got to move. You know, I could have stayed and gone to Votech and be. I was going to go into auto mechanics. I was going to go into automotive. Crazy. What I was going to do. And he, uh, he. Ba- I remember he came into me like, and he said uh, he mulled it over for like a week, and then he came to me and he was like, "Hey." I don't think I want you to become an auto mechanic. So we're going to do the performing art. We're going to move. That's awesome. So, Damn, that's yeah. amazing. I love it. That's I hope if my kid is ever in that spot, I'd do the same thing. I'm pretty sure I would just because I don't. Well, you know, you got to really listen. <laughs> Look at what I do for a living. No, I was going through some stuff when I was, when I was that age. Mm-hmm. I, there was things going on. And I think my father recognized that that's something I really needed to do you know even if i needed to do something i needed a, a path mm-hmm, at that age mm-hmm. and either and even if it was votech that would be okay too but i needed to it, i was at a crossroads at like 12 to, to one and mm-hmm. yeah any of you other guys you want to get into that one at all as far as parental support or not did, did you identify with neil at all or was it pretty smooth sailing I, I had a dream dream upbringing uh, with my father worked at ABC television for 46 years in production services, building sets and lights and cool. Um, and my mom uh, is an actor um, and was throughout my entire life a theater actor. Crazy. So I had nothing but complete and total support and I will be forever grateful to them for that. Wow. Awesome. G. I want some of what he's having. Um, <laughs> I have a feeling we had more of what you had. Yeah. Ever read the great, great Santini story for Gail yeah. the third? Yeah. Gale with the dark dark Gale. Dream of thunder, baby. Yes. <laughs> uh, I, I came from Seattle. I was a million miles away from that thing, and and uh, being uh, in the arts was looked upon as um, possibly not straight. Mm-hmm. Uh, military family uh, violent um, alcoholic parent type situation so for me to go yeah I'm leaving uh, New, uh, from New York to study acting I was literally pulled by, aside by someone father who had no relationship with um uh, and told, yeah, you just gotta fail. <laughs> Insisted on it, huh? Gotta so, love that. You know, I was like, cool. But you know, many years later, um, after this had come out, I was getting married, and the family showed up, and you know, my dad was like, "I always knew you'd make it." <laughs> yeah. Now that you're on the other side. So like, right. point, point of fact. Right. Yeah. What he actually said was, <laughs> and, you know, much to his merit, he was like, well, not the first time I was wrong. I was hey, like, okay. That's... Not to interrupt you because you keep telling great stories and I keep interrupting them. We have another <laughs> guest who's going to pop in here. 
None other it, than the man whose brainchild the entire thing was, Oscar-winning screenwriter Tom Schulman, who wrote the film. And as far as I know, put Carpe Diem in the American lexicon because I don't—I wasn't aware of it prior to this film. How the fuck are you, sir? I'm great. How are you? Thanks for having me. It's an honor. It's awesome. Truly Thanks, honor. Uh, Tom. Oh my God. I see a couple of the guys here. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Dylan, Al, hey. Oh, my God. Artist. Gentlemen, what are the four pillars? That's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Gail, how you doing? I'm good, Tom. It's so good to see you. Ditto. Ditto. Everybody's doing well in COVID, I think. Everybody looks healthy. Pink cheek. Yeah, we've dodged oh. it so far. Everybody in the second row looks great. <laughs> I can't speak to. <laughs> I think the last time the four of us were together was at the Norman Lloyd tribute. Um, That's right. Who, by the way, is 106 uh, uh, as of this moment and wow. still going strong. And um, wow. if you we were here, I'm sure he would send his love. Oh, uh, my God. Wow. I wow. almost asked Dylan because Gail mentioned that you were tight with him still. I almost... I didn't want to press you in in any way in trying Gail to get and, others. And Al and I, Gail and Alan, I went to his 106th birthday party last year. That's amazing. And that is amazing. He might be 107 amazing. now. He might be 107. I don't know. That's amazing. Unbelievable. And Should still going strong. He's going strong, showman. Wow! On his game. I'm not sure I'll make it to 48. All right. So when we came up with a conceit of this podcast, part of it was because we would have these long meandering three and five hour long podcasts that ran out of energy and steam by the end. And we're like, what if we just cut it off with a buzzer at an hour? So we don't have much time left. Tom, we yeah. would love to hear. The, I know this was semi-autobiographical I've read. Was there a Mr. Keating in your life that you want to speak about at all? Yeah, there were sort of two. Yeah, the character in the movie is in my was in my mind kind of a blend of two. One was Harold Clerman, who was a, a came to this workshop that I, I was at here in Los Angeles about four times a year to review the work. His teacher was a guy named Jack Garfine. He was, I mean, his student was Jack Garfine, and Jack Garfine was running that that workshop. So Harold Clerman, who was sort of one of the the grand you know masters of American theater in the twenties, thirties, forties. Etc. By the time uh, I met him, he was in his, I think, mid 80s, but he was still this volcanic, brilliant presence on stage. He would just, you know, get up and talk for two or three hours. And it, it was as if he were everywhere on earth throughout history. He knew everything. It was, a, it was shocking. And I wanted to write something about him. So I started this process with him, and it was actors in his acting class and so forth. And it just, it didn't really work. And then I, but I was enjoying doing it and I liked what he was saying. And I thought, okay, I need another. So I thought back to this uh, uh, teacher I had named Sam Pickering, who was uh, my sophomore in high school English teacher who had, uh, and I keep thinking about this. He was there for a year. He was a, a wonderful presence. And um, when we came back junior year, he was gone. And there were rumors that he had an affair with the headmaster's uh, wife or, or daughter. Or Further improving stuff. the legend. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and, and we were just too too scared to ask. So all that just remained, you know, this. And, and I think if I had ever known the truth, which was that he just got a better job, 
He became a professor at Connecticut. <laughs> I might have never wa- written the movie, but the this mystery sort of opened it up ah, in my mind. Okay, okay, what happened? So that's great. Yeah, he was he was you know the the model in that. Well, movie. we were speaking earlier to the fact in. Dylan, with his amazing take from Cameron's point of view, that his character was right all along because thematically it's, uh, you know, hit all of us that the film actually speaks to the free thinker, the nonconformist gets ground under the heel of R. P. the institution. Yeah, the R.P. Right. McMurphy, you know, right. Right. John Bender. So when you set out to write this, are you, because I know you've written What About Bob and Eight heads in the duffel bag. Another like great, great comedies, about amazing about comedies, but this is a pure tragedy, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, though there is the pyrrhic victory of the triumphant desk standing at the end that yes. the rebellious uh, spirit yeah. lives strong, you know. But uh, those yeah. kids probably paid for it as well. How many right. hits on the ass did Todd get? Exactly. You know? <laughs> so, right. was that your intention when you set out, or did you find along the way that it wanted to be a tragedy and you felt compelled to listen to the story, or were you like, I want to write a tragedy? No, I didn't want to write a tragedy, and I do think I set out to to sort of lionize this this mm-hmm. you know all the things that the teacher was talking about, you know that that Keating was saying. But the story just you know it kind of somehow took that turn that there were going to be consequences for these students for that you know following his his advice so to speak. So um, you know it turned into what it turned into, and I, I don't think I ever saw it as a tragedy because I think that what he taught. You know, they stood up for, it. and that that would go mm-hmm. on, whether you know, as individuals or even mm-hmm. whatever happened to him, he would always have that. And it, it, you know. it continues to go on. You are so important to millions and millions and millions, nice. generation after generation of of children um, who turn to you and your thought and you can't kill an idea as pure as what you gave to this world tom Preach. Uh, it's so sweet to hear i i you know i know my dog loves me <laughs> <laughs> beyond that it's it's uh but thank you gail that's that's really count sweet. us among the ranks of those millions yeah. for sure i mean yes. sean our friend this show is about uh, somebody coming on to talk about their favorite film sean our old friend friend who chris introduced to the film um still counts it as his favorite and to be honest it's quite possibly ours. We just have a very hard time wrapping our mind around the favorite thing. We realize it's absurd that we ask others to pick one while we can't ourselves, but it is very much there as a possibility. And I can't wait to show it to my seven-year-old son. I'm wow. trying to struggle with what is an appropriate age to show this to a kid. Cause you of course want your kid to be a free thinker and question authority and everything. Um, I don't know the suicide themes etc if you know i was watching horrific shit at seven years old but yeah, um, watching the exorcist at six years old <laughs> i'm just speaking to what gail was talking about the generational aspect of it that this thing will continue to live on through my family for sure you know it's, absolutely yeah well that's too it, it's it's just you know gives me chills to tingles to hear you guys say that and i'm honored to, that you think it so yeah. oh man i mean again um, the carpe diem of it, was that something that was going around? I feel like you reintroduced it or introduced it to the American lexicon. Is that, am I making that up or was it something I, that was? I think so. I don't, I don't. don't that's re- fucking that. huge. We're screenwriters, it dude. Is. I mean, yeah. you won an Oscar, you beat like Woody Allen and amazing Soderbergh for an Oscar that year, which I would love to hear about. But even more importantly, you put a stamp on the public consciousness in a way no award will ever 
transcend. You know what I mean? Carpet needle is huge and life Globally, the entire friggin' world. I don't yes. I can't tell you how many people who go t- tell oh, me like it. you're huge in China. Like, <laughs> <laughs> the three of us were yelling barbaric yawps and carpe diem from the rooftops like literally almost you know, we, we were yelling uh, it in the literally. streets and shit so yes it, it hit us at exactly the right time in our lives to inspire and it will continue to it resonates yes. and it will yeah, for absolutely. anyone who watches it it's just that it's a truism it's perfect but uh again do, do you realize that or is it only uh, when people illustrate it to you i think you know i i you know, when you're a writer, you, you tend to try to move on. You're just, you're already yeah. on to the next thing when you're, when the movie that you, hopefully the For movie sure. that you wrote comes out, you're, you're, Oscar you know, ticket of other, other issues. So, you know, it just, and certainly when I wrote it, it didn't, you know, you're, you're looking for a solution in a scene. Right. You know, you're just trying to solve the scene. That's what's so great, you, yeah. you know, that <laughs> if something comes that continues to resonate, great but you know you just so um and you know i i did take latin in in high school hated it but it, <laughs> it, it gave me you know some things and carpe diem was one of i'm just saying as a writer i mean that's what we are first and foremost and i can't imagine putting a stamp like that uh, as i said on the public consciousness globally as gail said that's amazing um and that's what you hope for but i love that it was just through the process it came to be it was like what the scene demanded what the characters demanded you know and it came out it's not like you tried to manufacture this movie moment you know yeah and the way it was what? shot and edited it's fucking amazing the haunting faces yes. of the young man uh robin whispering everything's pitch perfect man unbelievable mm-hmm. yeah yeah was there a dead poet society in your school or something like it or was that a completely no. invented mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. Okay. Is it something and, you know, you it was one of those existed? things where they they wanted to change the name of the movie. They didn't like the, the name of the movie. Yeah, and they, it's how, yeah like the average and, audience member hearing dead poets. What the fuck is that? Right. Yeah. Right, I'm right. so glad they kept I, it. I think they said, you know, it's the three worst words that you could put in the movie. <laughs> dead <laughs> Poet Society. <laughs> <laughs> but they, uh, uh, and, you know, they, they even had a contest amongst all of the Disney employees in the publicity and distribution department. Everybody had to submit 10 alternative titles. They handed a big sheaf of alternatives. Do you remember the, any uh, of the other ones? Well, the only one that stood stood out was the one that the the studio mandated was going to be the name of the movie, which was Keating's Way. Yep. Which made me just want to throw up, and it was on Keating's Way. Yeah, oh, for, oh for the God. first few days, it was on it was on the sticks, you know, the on the. Oh yeah. man! And it was like, oh my God! And finally, after about a week, Peter Weir said, "I, I we're not naming this movie that. Take that yeah. off." Thank you, Peter Weir. On and you can fire me. Um, that's it. And uh, but I knew something that no one thought of, which is that if you just change the name of the club that they found to something else, you could name the movie after ah, that. But they, yeah. I, I didn't want to lose it at that point, so I. No, I it's perfect, know. man. <laughs> yeah. I'm so they glad it didn't stay as it was. Yeah. I don't know how much time we have. This buzzer is rude, and it is going to be. Um, apologies up front but a little hilarious i think to have this amazing oscar-winning writer we revere get cut off by this buzzer harshly but do you feel throughout your life you've taken your own advice with the seize the day or do you feel uh do you can i can i say one thing yes can we just seize the day and and start something new here called hard out overtime 
for sure. <laughs> We've talked about it plenty. <laughs> yeah. If you guys want to stick around as for long as y'all want to stick around, we will be here for special days. case. Like, yes. I, I will sincerely apologize when I have to cut out at 730 sharp. I will sincerely apologize now. Oh, yeah. I have a nine yeah. Wow. You got one. Look oh at my this. God, Gail, oh, that's shit. great. Nice. Yeah. We're I, I'm more than willing to break tradition. I mean, in the spirit of Mr. Keating, fuck our own self-imposed rules yeah, and exactly. You know what I mean? Um yes. And anyone, don't feel any pressure. Anytime you want to drop out, feel free. Um but if you do have to drop out early, if you got anything you want to throw in as far as, you know. Well, I just wanted to about... say, you know, in terms of asking, you know, Tom about, you know, what did it feel like to introduce, you know, uh, something to the American lexicon, to the cinema lexicon? You know, it's imp I think it's important just to mention that we didn't set out to make an iconic film. And I don't think he set out to write one either. We set out to tell a good story. And much like, much <laughs> like just Gail got saying, his dad <laughs> saying, I knew you were going to make it after Gail had made it. Mm -hmm. In retrospect, it's always easier to be like, oh, man, you went out and you made this really important movie. There was an actor who auditioned for a role in this film who auditioned for Gail's part, as a matter of fact, who was dropped from consideration, I heard, because he approached Peter during the audition process and said, Peter, I want to play this part because this is going to be an important film. And Peter went, I cannot work with you, unfortunately. Too much, <laughs> pr too much pressure. <laughs> That's an amazing lesson. I love that. Yes. Who was an important that? film. No, I want to know who that was. Who was that? <laughs> I don't know. Who it was. We didn't to make an important film. We set out to tell a good story. You know what I mean? Uh, that, that was, that was, that was that? Tom Cruise's. That's beautiful. Man, but yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if this. I know that Sam Rockwell had your part for a minute. Seriously? Uh, he would have been amazing. Yeah, he, he would have been amazing. But, but Gail, I'm glad it was Gail. But no one, no one was having of Sam Rockwell. Back. I worked with Sam on Law and Order, and I he told me the story. Is that right? Wow. I don't know if that if what's that? I'm sorry, say guys. He told you the story. Did he tell you the story about saying it was going to be an important film? No, 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 no. That he was that he had been cast in the film. <laughs> he wasn't the guy. You're not outing you him. Know, I, I, I don't think that's true <laughs> for one reason. You know, Peter was so collaborative that every day he would say they, the casting mostly took place in New York. Casting director was in New York, so they made tapes of everybody mm -hmm. and sent it out here. And Peter, every night we go, he, he would go home with the tapes. And then he ordered back to his hotel room with the tapes and then give them to me in the morning and I would look at them. And in the afternoon, we'd talk about them. And we we always picked the same people. And that was it. Wow. That person got, I mean, we looked at you guys. It was uncanny, really. But, you know, we would say, okay, you know, who's going to be Nuanda? Who's going to be, you know, Cameron? Who's going to be Neil? Who's going to be, you know, whatever. And it it was just like, oh, I, I think it's number four. And, and he went, I like number four. <laughs> that was it. So I don't remember, Sam, maybe Sam Rockwell, but I, I think we, at, we, we just got it. We just picked who we, you know, I mean, Peter was the one picking. But I, you know, we just always we had to say, yeah. Chris and I have this game we love to play, especially when we do movie reviews and talk about film on this podcast of dreamcasting. It's something we're pretty good at when we dreamcast our own projects and stuff. And, uh, I, I can't imagine another cast. Now, a lot of you guys were young unknowns and everything, but it is one of the most perfectly cast films I've ever seen. And Robin being a part of that, um, Dylan, I think, mentioned earlier, right, that it was Richard Dreyfus, or was that 
one of you guys mentioned, but it might have been now. I thought it was Dylan. Um, that Richard Dreyfus at one point was supposed to play Keating. Tom, you obviously would have been there through the whole development right. process. Were there other yeah. names that came and went? And I read Liam feel? Neeson, Dustin Hoffman. There were a couple. Well, of there was, you know, there was a director before Peter, and uh, right. actually two, if you count Dustin Hoffman, and right. uh, so so possibly to direct too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah he was he was attached to directing Star for maybe I don't know four to five months, and um, after the first production, you know, they they actually shot one day of of the movie hmm. in Georgia, um, oh, yeah. but and Robin who had been saying wouldn't say no but wouldn't say yes the studio was convinced he was going to show up and and be in the movie uh because because he did like the script but he didn't show up the first day so they canceled the Ooh, and the director the director a... had them the, the, they were ordered to burn the sets and come home so the director Shit. director <laughs> took a, had the cameraman go down to one of the kilns where they burned the sets and shot that and, and i got a call from disney saying we don't know why, but we have dailies. You want us to come see the daily? So I went to the no. daily the next day, and they it was the burning of the sets. <laughs> <laughs> like some ritualistic sacrifice. Please tell me those tapes are in a storage unit that somewhere. Was, that was that director. Um, yeah. It was his comment on you know the whole notion yeah. that had been canceled. So he was given ten days to go out and set up the movie at another studio, but not, only with actors that he had been pushing, other than Robin, who were Alec Baldwin and Liam Neeson, those two. And mm. uh, I made the rounds with him yeah. and, you know, we went to the other studio heads and they looked at, you know, they had read the script and they looked at the audition tapes and they just went, you know, these guys, they were, they were no names at the time. They did not mm -hmm. have, so that was that. So Disney got the movie back and they immediately picked Dustin to star and direct. And then when Dustin essentially refused to start on a certain date because he was going to be wrapping up Rain Man and wanted extra time, mm -hmm. the studio gave him an ultimatum. You either start shooting November 1st or whatever, and, or, or you're out. And I don't, he didn't believe it. And they were good for their word. And they called me at the day he, he was supposed to be out. At, they gave him till noon on a Tuesday. And at 12.01, they called me and said, Dustin's out and Peter Weir's in. What a business so, that, yeah. I mean, imagine Richard they were talking Dreyfus to Peter Weir. A, and, Richard Dreyfus just a myth, Tom? Is that a myth? Yeah, he, he was not, I don't remember him. Oh, okay. Yeah, and, uh, and at that point, Robin was back in, so, you know. Eight months Respect to all the guys mentioned, but Robin, well, I mean, oh, I can't imagine anyone else bringing the same package of uh, mischievous, rebellious, yet compassionate, yet empowering and inspiring i mean humanity the charisma all of it it's insane i don't know if the movie works with those other guys as much as i love all of them as actors i don't know if it works in the same way for the sure dude was, the dude was such a huge presence and yet so incredibly humble and generous yeah the way he, way he worked to set every one of us up Prior about to the cry, it. fuckers. I know, me too. I'm feeling the tears coming on. He would tee it up, and then he'd just step back and let you do it. it the whole thing was, I mean, Tom, Peter, uh, uh, Robin, it's exactly the way, way it felt. It was like, I, I remember it like it was yesterday. What a gift. That's amazing. Um, what films had he come off of? Was he, had he done the fish? What's good that? Morning, good morning, Vietnam. Good morning, Vietnam. Oh, man. Just coming off that. 
I mean, that, yeah. that was huge for me too. Yeah. So he was stepping up though from early on with Mork and Popeye up to Garp where it's starting to get more dramatic and then mm-hmm. eventually moving into that territory and then into even more dramatic stuff like Awakenings and, you know, where there's not even a hint of humor or anything really in his performance. But uh, yeah, he, had just, he had just done a movie for PBS called Seize the Day. In black oh, I remember that film. Yeah, where he yep. plays an insurance salesman who does anything but. Very dramatic. Yeah. Very dramatic. Yeah. I mean, a Juilliard talent and everything, everybody knows yeah. it. Yeah. Comedians yeah. often make great dramatic actors, you know, those instincts. Yes. Seems That's even Goodwill hunting on the bench. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. There's so much pain in comedy. Yes, exactly. That's right. <laughs> what were you saying, Dylan? I feel like uh, you got good friends up. with Christopher Reeve in school. They were, yes. they were, they were, uh, they were roomies. Like buddies, like best friends from what I read. Yeah, which uh, is an amazing story as well. Yeah. Um, God damn. Yeah, the night the night the movie premiered, I was in New York. I, some of you guys were there, I think. Uh, Robin, Christopher was there. Robin was there. And we were all at some little restaurant. And at one point, Christopher said, let's, let's just go out and sneak in the back of the theaters around here where it's playing and see how it's doing. And yeah, Robin said, I don't want to do that. And Christopher said, no, no, <laughs> there won't be anybody there. They won't see you. You know, you won't recognize us. It'll just be dark. Let's do it. And, he, and Robin's gone up. And I said, well, I'll do it with you. So we walked around to all these theaters. I didn't know New York very well then, but he, he knew all the theaters where it was playing. And we went to one and the other. And walked sat in the back and you know listened and it, one time we walked in at the very end and the audience actually stood up when the boys got on their desks and gave the movie a standing ovation oh my god and Chris, Chris, i looked at chris and he was just covered in tears oh, said, are you okay he said i'm so happy for robin i'm so happy for robin. and you know they were just so close it was so well, I was going to say, it's interesting. Story. Yes, that's you amazing. You hung out with Christopher Reeve in New York. I'm sure he wouldn't even remember me. I mean, I was just tagging nah, along with him along so sure. in the night of New York, you know? In the night and knowing how much it meant to Robin and knowing you were the writer of it, I'm sure he did. But uh, I feel like from what I've read, too, about their relationship, that Reeve was probably kind of a Keating to Robin mm. as far as helping him or come Neil out his Perry shell to his own. and mm. you know yeah exactly to yeah. that Robin would have been more of the Todd to a degree or right. the Neil who wanted to perform but a kind of an amalgamation maybe yes, of Todd uh, yes. and Neil um and that Chris Reed was instrumental in helping him learn to socialize more and put himself forth more you know what I mean yeah yeah that sounds like they had a super special relationship yeah that's probably right Gentlemen, I must go. Tom, miss you. I love you, oh, sir. Ditto, Al, I love you guys so much. Thank you very much, Chris, Sean, and, and Hart out. Thank you very All much. In. Thank, Thank you, Jay. So Thank you. Bye, yes. Dylan. Bye, Dylan. Nice to see you. Thank you. Yes. Come back anytime. Take care. And that goes for any of you guys. If you ever want to come back and talk about your favorite movie, that would be fucking awesome. I would love to know what each of your favorite movies are and have discussions. Actually, we're doing overtime. We can get into some of that now. I mean, yes. I'm just, I'm just glad yeah. Dylan's gone. I never liked him anyway. I mean, <laughs> fuck that guy. <laughs> he wasn't even acting. He's just a dick. He's, he's a total Cameron apologist. I love it. How much uh, like Cameron was he? Let's talk about him behind his back for a second. How much uh, like a Cameron was gone. he, or was he completely different? And he's the guy who's you know smoking behind the in the boys' room or whatever type shit you know on set. 
he was my roommate, quote unquote, in the film. So I, I embraced Bobby, um, Ethan, um, Al, and Jamie in that order because that was the hierarchy of the character as written. Um, and with Dylan, I mostly avoided him, you know, and, and cultivated, if not conjured, a certain amount of antagonism towards him. And still do and to this day. To the point where one of one of the guys, I forget which, I, I mean, I think I know, <laughs> who pulled me aside, oh, he's a really good guy. He's incredibly <laughs> smart. And I was like, I don't want to know. <laughs> I don't want to like him. There's some method acting for you. I'll barrel up that towards Dylan at first. Towards the end of the shoot, I think we let a lot of that go. But at first, I remember where it was like, he was kind of, he was part of the main cast, but he was a little outside the group. Yeah. Maybe that worked for his process as well. I don't know. But uh, Maybe. Yeah, I, hope it funny. I hope it did. It is funny how that stuff does come out, especially you were all young for the most part. Gail, maybe a little bit older, but uh, hey. you know, the Lord of the Flies type <laughs> shit that can go on on set with child actors or kid actors or teenagers, yeah. you know, imagine some of that. Speaking yeah. of set, Tom, were you on set? Were you the writer who was allowed to be there every day and just soaking yeah, that yeah. up? I wasn't there every That's day. Awesome. Peter, Peter Bizarrely, when we met, he said to me, how come you're not directing this thing? I'm like, are you kidding me? I mean, you know, this is a miracle this is getting made, for one thing. And secondly, you know, you're, you're you, Peter Weir. It, it's true. I saw I saw a witness and I said, I just finished yeah, I writing the first draft of the script that afternoon. My oh, wife and my I went to witness and I said, Gosh, I could only get this guy to wow. direct this movie, get wow. this script to him. You know, Dream come true. Two years later, it happened. But wow. uh, beautiful. Yeah, at the age so, of eight, my favorite movie yeah. literally was Witness when I was eight years old. By the way, unbelievable so, movie. Yeah, yeah, it is. So, uh, but uh, so that was, you know, uh, what was the question? I can't remember. How did I digress under that? Hell uh, if I know, man. I'm just oh, oh, in the okay. whirlwind of having you yeah. guys here. Um, I would love to hear you just talk about Peter, though. I mean, uh, the yeah, question I think oh, was if oh, you were on oh, set I'm every day, set. but that's what yeah, I no, I, how much. So Peter said to me, well, you know, I, I, I do want you on the set. And since I know you want to direct, you know, I've directed eight movies. So you please feel free to ask me questions, and, you know, learn as much as you can. I'm like, mm. oh, my God, that's great. Quite a mentorship. So, yeah. yeah. So we, you know, we've. Uh, and he made me, allowed me to be part of every part of the process. Uh, I mentioned with the casting and, you know, and so forth, all the, all the way down. We just discussed everything. And he wasn't doing it as, you know, I'm your mentor and, or teacher. Mm -hmm. He just, you know, it's we would inclusive. just talk about things. So uh, everything. Wow. And we'd go back to his trailer at the end of every shoot every day and just talk about what happened, what's coming up, what, what needs to be done, et cetera. Uh, nice. I got called back to LA a few times to do work on what about Bob, but otherwise, you know, I, I was there. So, um, speaking of which, I'm raising a glass to the Tourette's syndrome. If I mean, come on, <laughs> that's iconic too from our youth. That was one of the funniest damn things. I've also, ever seen in my life. to Mighty Mutt, yeah, yeah. Mighty Mutt, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> was it Mutt Flanders? Yeah. Mutt, Mutt, uh, <laughs> Mutt Sanders. Not Flanders. Yeah, yeah, uh, you know, but Peter had lived this movie himself. You know, we all he, he went to a an all boys boarding school mm. in Australia, and you know, as I think Robin did in in Detroit, and so he knew they knew it better than I do because I didn't go to a boarding school. So it was mm. it was a but so that you know that just having everyone know the world of this movie so well, you know, just made it. 
it's so much better, easier to do. And, and After one of the uh, previews in, in Manhattan, I was hanging out outside having a smoke and got approached by two people, a young woman um, and uh, some dude. And they wanted to talk about how, how the movie landed with them. And her name was Christina Haig. And, uh, and they, 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 the kid was like, you know, like my age-ish, maybe younger. And kind of kind of timid, but super cool dude. Talked about how he'd gone to a school just like that. And he was very much like Neil, wanted to get into acting and, and his mom wouldn't let him. And I was like, I just don't understand, you know, having to acquiesce to, to, to your mom's, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, decision for you. Mm-hmm. And turned out he was, uh, that was, that was, uh, it was John Kennedy Jr. What? Wow. You say that name sounded familiar. Oh, yeah. he, you know, it was just like this amazingly sweet guy. And he wow. loved the movie so much. It was like, it was like watching his life story. Wow. Uh, I think about wow. six, six, to six, six months later, I was working on a film in Chicago with Christina. <laughs> Small world. Small I mean, world. but you, I mean, you changed his life as well. I mean, the guy was just choked up talking about, how you captured his life, Tom. Have you ever heard that before, Tom? No, I haven't. That's no, the, awesome. the Kennedy name rings a bell, but I can't. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, and to think like, uh, yeah, you had it bad with Kurtwood Smith as your dad or whatever, but to have that Kennedy legacy hanging over your head, oh, Jesus shit. Christ. Right. Totally unassuming. That's brutal. I didn't know it was him until afterwards. So, as somebody walked up to me and said, you know, you were talking to us. I was like, no. <laughs> That's wow, nice. that's great! I've never heard that. Yeah. John Jr., John John. Um, that's that, stupendous. My my favorite memory on set with Tom uh, is literally my favorite thing was because because I was like a you know, struggling nobody in in Manhattan, you know, waiting tables and and auditioning. I stayed with Sandy. Sandy was friends with Harold Clearman. Harold Clearman was on my list of people to study with that I never got to before mm-hmm. he passed away, unfortunately. Um, so it's like a, a triumvirate. You worked with Harold. Uh, Robin worked with um, Hausman, and, and I got to work with Sandy. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, but we were on set early on, and, and Tom was being super sweet, and, and, and he was like, so what, what was your last job? And clearly asking me, you know, what my last acting job was. And, you know, I was like working in small theater, maybe where the cast always outnumbered the, the audience. Um, <laughs> and, and I was like, oh, you know, I was working in a restaurant. And he was like, oh, <laughs> like, why is this guy not, why is this guy an actor and not in catering? <laughs> you know, to look like, wait, what? We're trusting you with what? <laughs> he was like, which one? And I, and I said, some steakhouse. And he was like, stopped. And he just kind of like went, and you called across the, the set. He went, uh, uh, Stephen, to Stephen Haft. Stephen, every place is like, E.F. Hutton quiet. And, and Steve was like, what? It's like, you hired the funny waiter. Evidently, I waited on you guys. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing i don't remember any of that <laughs> true story i was mortified that's so he was like, you, hired the you gotta love that 
<laughs> you gotta love that that you know for one guy he's mortified and the other doesn't even remember it you yes. know like that <laughs> Talk about POV, standing on the desk, and one guy's a worm. The, the stakes just went up that day. I was like, better come through. Oh, damn. You can't buy these stories. This is amazing, fellas. This is a gold mine. To this day, you hired the funny waiter. Oh, I love you. If any of you have any just anecdotes you want to throw out, funny stories that strike you, um, that would be amazing. I will say, I want to say something about the standing on the desk and the perspective thing watching this film again for the first time in a while since i've had cancer had a kid lots of shit changed um i watched it so many times as a young impressionable man where the carpet diem really hit me like zeus thunderbolt or something but years later to watch it it struck me so much more now that it really is a story of parenthood it's really it's not that wellman or Hellman, the Institute itself was necessarily the negative. They would not have stopped Neil from acting or having that extra elective. It was his father and the pressure that the family put on him. So it just it hit me as a dad in a whole different way. And I was wondering, and another thing too, just the there's a real melancholy when I watch any film about young people with so much potential in their whole lives ahead of them. I'm 43 now, which isn't super old, but still I feel like that youthful potential is kind of you know that ship has sailed and shit to a degree and i feel as i said earlier in this podcast before some of you joined that i feel like i haven't seized the day as i should i just want to know when the last time you guys watched the film was and if you've watched it in different ways or if you feel any of that melancholy about lost youth and i don't know is that something worth exploring um, Al, we haven't heard much from you. I'm not trying to put people on the spot. Al, Al you're, you're up on this one. <laughs> like, when's the last time you watched the movie? I feel the, the melancholy of a lost youth every day. Right. But, um, um, you know, I, I um, that's, that's, that's a good question, guys. I don't know. It's tough. Uh, what? The movie itself touched on that a lot about, you know, when he when uh, Keating brought all the kids down to look at the photos of the people who were there before mm-hmm. 100 years ago and whether they actually seized the day themselves and, you know, got one iota of the potential sure. of their lives. You yeah. know, that's what we're talking about. The, the entire sure. I mean, one of the themes of the movie. Now, yeah. all of you guys who have been in a major this. motion picture that won Oscars and shit, obviously you seized the day at some point, and yes. that maybe we had more pedestrian lives, and we feel that right. a little more power. Right. So uh, maybe it's not yeah, fair to pose that question, but there's it's never too late, and and you can always quit seizing the day any day too. You know, yeah, so it's, true it's not one of those things that continues. You have to keep doing it. It doesn't mm-hmm. become a habit in some way. You could do it moment to moment. You seize the day at this point, yeah. and you know at yeah. other points you yeah. I think, I, think all, I think all the habits and signals of our lives drag us back down. So there's, mm-hmm. you have to make a constant effort or, it, it, you know, you just get yes. involved in the pedestrian, quotidian sure. you know, stuff. I mean, the grind. Yeah, so. Amen. I mean, yeah, we, we all feel life's grind, you know, and, and that can, can detract from your... <laughs> From you know you seizing the day, but like Tom said, you have to keep on trying. You know, I mean, there's there's so many things in life to bring us all down, but um, 
you know, I mean, just one day at a time, guys. I mean, especially this past year. I mean, this was hard. Yes. a horrible year. You know, I mean, for me personally, I've had some horrible shit happen to me, even beyond the the news cycles and and COVID. And I'm sorry to hear that. You know, you just to keep on. Yeah, just keep on keeping on. You know what I mean? Yeah. So in that way, you know, I mean, if the if if the movie affected me in that way, to continue on, mm. you know, to continue to strive on, yes, then I'm I'm happy that it that it did. I'm I'm, I'm glad that I'm a part of it. You know, I'd be curious to hear what you guys are all doing today. Like, what, what are you into? Are you working on like what projects you might be uh, delving into, you know, to, to yeah, normally people get put off, cut off on show before they can plug shit. But uh, yeah, right. I, I would love to know what you guys are doing today, what your life is like beyond plugs, though. Yeah. Like, what are you yeah. up to do what you got passions or anything? I mean, outside of acting, outside of writing. I heard I the through the grapevine, no Tom, that you went to Burning Man. I did go to Burning Man twice. Uh, nice. uh, I, I won't go a third time, but uh, <laughs> that's enough. Yeah. Two's plenty. I seized that day. Yeah. That day has been seized. <laughs> it, it, it's actually See, been there, seized that. Yeah. Once, once is great, you know, because it's all new and it's all, you know, sure. this this fascinating world. But and I was kind of disappointed to go back to find that most of the things that had been there the year before were back. So mm -hmm. it's all the novelty of it had rehearsed. Uh, you know, they okay. do have some amazing art out on this area they call the Playa, which is this giant flat desert thing. And you bike around out there and look at this stuff. And it's, they have just, inc you know, incredible, both conceptually and in terms of craft, amazing things. But maybe do uh, shrooms the third time. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 you <laughs> know, every, it's, it's shocking to me because I didn't really know there was that hard, you know, big a psychedelic drug culture still, still <laughs> left in the United States. And, you know, nobody that, dosed you when you were growing there. Soon. No, no. That one sailed for me a long time ago. So, you know, you'd have to, you know, tie me down to the ground and get me to do that kind of stuff. It's microdosing nowadays. That's the rule. Right. Yeah. yeah there you go. But it's, save it's, the world, folks. Right, right. <laughs> but uh, but I don't. So I don't consider that. You know, that I was kind of, you know, pushed to go there and went. But I'm glad I did because I actually learned the, the survival side of it all and the sharing economy of it all, mm -hmm. where everybody's there helping each other through. It takes you know, a very freaky have village. A problem with people. It's, it's a lovely concept. I, you know, I wish the world were like that. Because <laughs> of the psychedelics, man. That's what makes well, it Well, maybe. I, yeah. you get, there were a lot of people there that were, you know, I, I had a problem with... with <laughs> They're with, naturally with, on psychedelics. Yeah. <laughs> we had this propane heater, and so I just walked across the street, and I said, anybody know anything about this? And some guy said, yeah, I think I know about that. And I said, mm -hmm. are, are you a mechanic? He goes, no, I'm, I'm, I'm a... a Doctorate of Physics at Stanford, and I said, "I'm an arsonist." You probably understand that. He wasn't high. Yeah, he was not So you know, but he also couldn't fix the propane heater. So uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah. How about you, other guys? Gee, what are you into these days? Oh my! I'm a dad, two kids. Um, they find me. I'm empty nested. Um, wow which was something to go through. Um, fortunately, I'd, re I'd, I'd read, you know, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's book on grief and dying, because yeah, that was gnarly to go through. Um, this empty nesting, you mean, felt like a death, like you're grieving? Course, it, it is. Yeah. Absolutely it is. This it's is part amazing, of yeah. your life like that you devoted yeah. everything to that suddenly is no more. And, you know, you got to let go. And it, was, it was a lot, man. Um, 
but so wonderful. I'm, so, I'm just, you know, so thankful for having done it. Um, I teach Meisner technique to a, a class of mostly military veterans from all branches of the service. Cool. Interesting. So I work with a lot of people um, who experienced abuse or trauma and are PTSD. Um, it came back from the service, had the GI Bill and got pantsed by various um, we'll train you how to be a, a working actor kind of thing. I had a friend who was running a, a uh, not-for-profit uh, not at uh, the American Legion. It was like, you know, you used to teach, would you come in and show them the difference between what they're getting with their GI money and, and what you learned from Sandy. And so um, I was working as, at a studio in development at that point. And so like, yeah, absolutely, you know, give back to the troops sounded great mm -hmm. we're supposed to have maybe like 10 15 people um over three hours it ended up being about 45 people and one night they split into another night of about the same amount of people and um both nights went around six hours because i'm a big believer that everybody works every class um you shouldn't have to wait you know another week let alone another month to be able to learn mm. and grow which is very much yeah. in keeping with Harold Clareman, Sandy Meisner, Stella Theater. It's where we all come from. Um, so, you know, and not for nothing, you know, a lot of the time with the work that we're doing early on, um, helping to peel away the layers in terms of, you know, tapping into and um, developing the use of self in the work, it, it, it's it's you know Todd's sweaty tooth madman a lot of times mm -hmm. you know it's that breakthrough in order to get them you know uh, to know the difference between uh, real life and the facade we all phone in most of our lives with um, you know living truthfully under imaginary circumstances you think it's a, a, a thing but it's hard to let go um, so you know very blessed that way that that's also you know continued on zoom because you know it's um become a hybrid of technique and um on camera which is very useful mm -hmm. it's something i fought i fought for at least two and a half years my oldest son was like you should zoom like people from around the world would like to do this i'm like no you it's it's like pheromones it's like chemistry you, you gotta be live and yeah, but take what you can get wrong. as well yeah. Yeah. <laughs> do you see the did you see the fast times at Ridgemont High table read? Yeah, we're thinking you guys should do a table read of Dead Poets Society. It'd be yes. fucking amazing. Prize all your roles, but via Zoom, just <laughs> you know. I mean, I don't or, know who you get for Keating, but or even other projects. The Meeks role. Get Richard Dreyfus for Keating. It's perfect. We should all swap. <laughs> we should all swap each other's roles. You know, like the Fast Times at Ridgemont High thing was different people. Like Sean Penn was watching Shia LaBeouf play his role. You know, right, right. Like, and that was a lot of the fun of it was, you know, like the breakfast club, you know, like you just recast the whole thing on Zoom and have everyone play the characters, you know, I, stuff I, like that. I, be fun. I'm willing to do it if you get Zelda Williams to play uh, Mr. Keating. Zelda Williams. <laughs> Who? Is that, Zelda, 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 oh, Zelda. Zelda. Oh, his daughter. daughter. Yes. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just didn't come through. She's, she's wonderful. Yes. That would Dude, be beautiful. Yeah, man. he named her after the Legend of Zelda, too. Is that right? Uh, look, I read that. I'm amazed yeah. that we pulled off getting you fellas on here, so let me see what I could do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm up to the challenge. That sounds amazing. We're going to name drop you guys, though. <laughs> yeah, right. Of course. Yeah, for what it's worth. 
That's either that or Tom. It's worth betting, trust me. You, if you can get Tom is cheating. If you can get Tom as cheating, I'm in. Now you're you're out of that. You're not in that one because uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna get Sam Rockwell. Yeah, there, there you go. All right, It'd be amazing. Liam Neeson, uh, Dustin Hoffman, right? Yeah. Uh, it's the what if, you know, the what if of it is kind of fun, you know. That acting technique, uh, the Meisner technique, and how you talked about earlier, Gail, how it applied to your life, it was almost therapeutic in a sense, and gave you like this framework to engage with the world. And even, um, do you find as an actor, and this would apply to you too, Al, that an actor should continue to take classes is it like like i come from a, as a kid at least uh the martial arts world you don't just go to fight or think of mma it's all about training and training and training and training and then you go fight but how many actors just show up for the fight and stop training and taking classes do you think that it's important to continue to drill like that or once you have the technique you can just apply it i mean or is yeah. it even natural to i mean yeah, it's per person, but yeah, and most do. Most find a, even when they're very big, they find a, a sacred space with people where it's anonymous, you know, and they can all work out together for sure, yeah. you know. Um, yeah, I, I use it all the time, and yeah, I find it very, you know, it's it's you say therapeutic, and yeah, it 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 is, but you got to be really careful when you're working with people because especially when you're encouraging the truth to come out, that it doesn't veer into being about you or the abuse of the appearance of power. You have to understand that unlike you can be in a position of authority and not be the authority. You're just Mm -hmm. a guide. I I, I work at it more like I'm a Sherpa. You know, I've been going to put that on a t-shirt and sell it in a merch shop or something. (laughs) Great, dude. (laughs) I've been been up and down the mountain a a few times with the work with a bunch of people. And so I know the the various things they're going to get hung up on. But ultimately, the journey is their own and the summit is their view. I just try to get them there so that they can own it. It's the way Sandy taught, which was not towards self, uh, not towards dependency on the person guiding you but towards self-reliance, which very much I think fits in with, with, you know, Tom's philosophy and dead poets. Yeah. Amazing. Everything comes back to you, Tom. Yeah, I I am the- Hey, it all starts with a writer, man. We're writers, (laughs) we bow down for sure. Um, Actually, I want to speak to the writing if you don't mind for a second, Tom, as far as, uh, I mean, we've got buddies, we got a buddy who's doing a podcast he kind of broke in as a writer years ago had an option and management etc um and then took years away and now he's doing a little podcast where he's back trying to break in he's interviewing all these writers and i wonder for you if you want to talk at all about process are you more of a procrastinator let it gesticulate and percolate um which i find myself to be and then yeah. show up on game day or in crunch time mm-hmm. and slay it or are you a daily Raymond Carver, who would say, you got to sit your ass in the chair and you can't let yourself do anything else but write for that allotted amount of time, you know? Do you have- I mean, I believe in what Raymond Carver said, but I can't, I don't do it, you know? So I I suffer a lot of, you know, guilt and self-flagellation and, you know- That's just part of the process. You know, the cleanest office in the world and all that stuff, you know? And, And 
but I, I've come to think of all of those things as just part of the prep preparation, you know, mm-hmm. and that it's as much as I don't really understand it, it somehow, you know, if I, if I've got a job with the studio and I have 12 weeks to do it for, for some reason, you know, that, that would be, you could do a page a day or, you know, t- two pages a day, make it just so organized and easy, but no, mm-hmm. I wait until the last three weeks. Preach. Thank even, you. Yeah. You know, start writing and it's just for some that pressure or whatever just you know again yeah. i've just grown it's galvanizing yeah. i was going to write an article for our mutual friend jean um she's a former editor of script magazine now she's doing this thing pipeline artist about the power of procrastination and if not necessarily embracing procrastination though at least as it applies to creativity mm-hmm. and the art of construction and then that just that it's not as bad a thing as procrastination which is i'm gonna sit down and just write and write and write and we all know the people who want you to read their first draft you know what i mean right that that percolating and thinking about it while i say have you reread this no it's straight out of my computer it's like when you get through reading it 15 times call me Yes, you know, exactly. and right. it's just, it's just it, it, but you know, it, I do say, think that once for me, once the idea all comes together, then I do become more like the Carver model, which is that, you mm-hmm. know, once I, once I've got it and I think I've got it, then I'm, you know, full bore all day, every day. Totally yeah. Done. You're just naturally sitting down and writing every day because you're excited to, yeah, you're, just, you already know yeah. what you want to do with it. Now, yeah. Once you reach that point where you're, you're you're so full of ideas and it's all starting to crystallize then you sit down and commit it right i do yeah. think that that i have one thing that that works for me and i know that it works because when i don't do it the scripts aren't as good which is that once i get through making a lot of notes and it's usually somewhere between 25 and 120 pages of just junk that i've thrown into mm-hmm. a file in the computer with the, the project's name and yeah. the thing you know, at that point, I will go back and read, and I realize I, I've had the same what I think of as brilliant idea five times. You know, written mm-hmm. it, I never had it the first time, but sure. then I go through and I put everything. You know, I kind of neaten it up and make sure every idea is its own paragraph, and then I print it out and I slice all those ideas up in the same way people make cards. Each of these things becomes a strip of paper. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's just one sentence. Sometimes it's two mm-hmm. or three pages, and it's a whole scene. Whatever. And I, mm-hmm. I put them in a big pile and I clear off all the floor around the room around me and I just start laying them out on the floor in the order that I think they would be the scenes in the movie. And what, sometimes I'll get to the scene that I think is going to be, you know, in scene 22 and then I've got scene 24 and I have no idea how I'm going to get anything, link those two. I just, I thought, oh my God, I thought these flowed logically. They, they don't, mm-hmm. I don't know. But I don't think about it too much. I just now I still got a pile of stuff to, mm-hmm. to put out there. So I just keep putting. And then all of a sudden, when I'm over on scene 96, just laying it out on the floor, oh, oh my God, it'll occur to me. I know what to do for scene 20. Eureka. I can do it. That Eureka thing. And I think yeah. that process That's actually awesome. allows you, that allows that Eureka thing to happen because yeah, it's to, relaxing. Like, think- yeah. Do you so, think making mass. it a physical endeavor is part of that? That's important because it's spreading on the floor yeah, versus having it all too. in a digital. Yep. Yeah, yeah more know, tactile. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know why, but it feels, you know, again, mm-hmm. when I don't do it, the scripts are not as good. I mean, it's easy to get lazy and not do it because it takes 
you know, several, at least a week once you've like got almost getting caught masturbating if someone walks in or something. Like, <laughs> right. What <are> you doing, <laughs> dude? But, but, but. My process, what? <laughs> right. So, uh, but oh. so that that I would recommend. You know, I guess the 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 other way to do it is put cards up on the you know. Yeah, yeah. Wall. I like your way though. It sounds kind of occult or something like you're drawing yeah, right, yeah. on the floor, reading the tea yeah. leaves, or yeah. right. read the bones. entrails. Exactly. It's it's so it's all over the and it's fairly easy to to lay it out because you know you you can first put everything in just kind of the a pile that's for you know mm. you look at it and you go okay this is in the first third of the movie this is in the yeah, middle yeah. this is the end part organized degrees yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. do you so, I don't want to harp too much on the writing thing and bore people who don't give a shit. Gail, I know you write. Al, do you write at all? I have. I, I'm not working on anything right now, but I, mm. I've I've actually written some stuff with Dylan. Oh, nice. Um, so you guys have the curse as well as we like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Do you outline a lot, Tom? Well, that is you, the outline. That's the outline. All right. Uh, yeah. Well, that, the random the ideas end, and organizing all the random ideas. At the but. end, I, I I take you know a, a page worth of those strips and I actually scotch tape them onto a, a, a piece of paper and then I they'll all be on. So at that point, there'll be maybe 130, 140 pages of that thing, and wow. I put them in order in in a notebook or two. And then I just open it up and there will be like, you know, three suggestions that I thought I would be the title. Here are the possible openings. And I just start, I, you know, it's, I say, oh, the opening should be this. And so I've usually figured that out already anyway, but you know, it, it's the guide or the outline to the, to the entire script. For sure. Wow. Wow. And I want to see it. I want like a, just someone to take a, standing on the desk photograph of you with all your shit spread out on the floor well, I, I did it for dead poet society and you know strangely enough by the time you get through that process almost all the work's been done you know mm -hmm. you've got lots of you know dialogue and everything else and it got to the point where you know i would be writing scenes like you know make your lives extraordinary i was literally falling asleep while i was writing shut up i wanted to hear that you're like crying was, with a cigarette you know, when I went back and revised it, I wasn't falling asleep. But it, you know, it turns the process, makes it very. Uh, but the ending of the movie came to me in that because of that process. You know, I knew I didn't have an ending. I didn't know mm -hmm. how to end it. I knew, That's what I, I was getting at with the outlining, though. Do you yeah, have I a predetermined ending, or do you let the characters take you there? You know. Well, in this case, I knew. You know, I knew already that the teacher was going to get busted for. You know, deal. Mm -hmm. I had that. But I didn't, I just assumed, I thought, well, I guess there'll just be a trial at the school for him or something. And I thought mm -hmm. to myself, that, mm -hmm. that doesn't work. There's, they don't have trials in these schools. But I was dutifully just, just kind of doing the rest of the movie with a tremendous amount of fear in my gut that I wouldn't have an ending, but mm -hmm. ignoring that. And then suddenly I went, oh, wait a minute. What would the kids, if they're watching the trial, they wouldn't be able to be witnesses. They would just stand up for him. And then I went, oh, but they're not oh, in the right dear. place. They could be in the classroom. And that was it. So there was no trial. There was he was fired, but they yeah. got to, you know, stand up for him. The anyway. Clearing out the desks moment yeah. of now, yeah. Chris and I know when you crack that code and you finally have that idea that feels right and true, it's almost like, you know, some molecule syncing up or something like yeah. a cannabinoid or something, right? And yeah. uh but but you probably didn't feel exhausted, did you? I don't know. Oh, yeah. Like no, no, I knew that that moment 
you know, at, at the moments yeah, I, in the I, movie I that were. Yeah, that, I'm actually meant you probably did feel exalted. Oh, yeah. yeah, just, yeah. I like, did. Oh, yeah. The exactly. hands open up. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it just felt like, oh, my God, you know, that it just hits you. It hits you. You know, you get hit by these moments. And right. that's. Mm. Really this is how, you remember, like, in the 80s, the sitcom kind of thing, like, or, uh, you know, B movie or Porky's type movie or something, like, oh, that guy just got laid or whatever. For a writer, that's what you're like <laughs> the next day. Everyone's like, man, he must have just found, landed on a perfect scene or something. He's just right. nice and pleasant to be around. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> For a few days, hey, at least. Gentlemen, I have to, I have to take off. All right, all right, man. Dude, it's been Love a you. pleasure and honor. Been dead it again. Come back anytime, yeah. Sal. Please. Thank you. Yes. Well, uh, I have one last thing to say. All right. And because I don't get, I, I said before, but I'm a, a big believer that you have to take uh, take a swing at every opportunity you get. Mm -hmm. Tom, you changed my life. I'm eternally, oh, eternally thankful. I, you know, I, I wouldn't have lived the life I've had if it weren't for your your creativity, your determination to put it down on pages, to see it through. Um, to the movie it became and you know, I, really humbling. Well, thank you. And you know, your work changed mine too, right? So <laughs> it, it did, it did. So Charlie Dalton is an all timer. Nuwanda. Yeah, yeah Nuwanda. Nuwanda. Like, the one I wanted to be, the character I wanted to still be. Want to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, still want to be. Yeah, still. Yeah. Damn you. it, Neil, yeah. the name is Nuwanda. Yes, fucking best response yeah. ever. <laughs> You know the the amount of the amount of um, cred that my kids have gotten over the years from it is. Well, I did want to ask about your kids watching <laughs> the film. <laughs> yes. Is that I know you guys? It seems like we're winding down. It's time to go or whatever. But if you want to speak for a second, did you watch this for your kid with your kids? Do you remember the first time they saw it? I would love to hear about that as well. Yeah. Both of you. The oldest grew up with it. I assume the youngest did as well, but uh, I guess it wasn't paying attention. It, while um he came home from fifth grade <laughs> and he said you were in a movie like, <laughs> pretty common knowledge You're like wait wait which one it, do you mean because there's some stag said, films out there it was dead poet society i'm like <laughs> yeah we have a copy do you want to sit down and watch it you're a little young for it but you know and he was like the reason i know is because my teacher told me i was like oh mm. okay it's his favorite movie Cool. Inspired him to old, teach his son's teacher on here, dude. He says, "I'm just like your character." I was like, "Hate to tell you, that's not a good sign." <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. It is. It is, man. It's and, a good sign. Right. Not for you as a parent, maybe, <laughs> but, but for him, it's a good sign. <laughs> I end up, I end up meeting his his teacher for the first time. Guy turns bright red, then yeah. goes white. He's just like starts like. You know, and and we broke the ice and had a nice conversation how sweet he was. But in that moment, it's just like, how incredible is it that that the guy tells me I became a teacher because of that movie, because of Tom's story. I might you know, later in life become one because of the integrity of life in that changed this guy to be a teacher. That kid is teaching my kid. Wow. That's that, amazing. Wow. That is amazing. That's humbling. 
That's great. That have really, you, Tom? Really, really cool. uh, have you, ta Tom, been in uh, teaching positions? Have you like taught classes or even just one on one yeah. like mentorship type situations? I, I've done both. You know, I, I don't think I'm a very good mentor, but I, and I, I don't think I'm a very good teacher either. But I just, don't worry, we're not going to ask you for notes. Yeah. We don't it's, do that. Yeah, just <laughs> just curious uh, I, as I've, far as I've what filled that. in for friends who teach, you know, screenwriting in various places. You know, for whatever reason, friend's wife died. You know, he was mm -hmm. teaching at SC and went down there and, you know, took over his class for a while. And just, you know, it's it's a um, it's a humbling experience. It's really hard. You Did know? you feel an extra pressure to be a Keating? Could... No, but moment? I felt I felt a little extra pressure mm. to be better than I am. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I feel that in all <laughs> aspects of life. So yeah. imposter yeah. syndrome sort of thing yeah, happening. Exactly. Yeah. So. Uh, you know, and, and, you know, there is that old saw, you know, those, not everybody can do, I don't think you have to be good, a good writer to be a good teaching teacher mm -hmm. of writing, mm -hmm. you know, and I don't think good writers are necessarily good teachers, you know, so Absolutely. It's, it's, it's just like, a, like the Salinger types and stuff who are recluses yeah. and, you know, yeah, myself just, among them. Or like a, a baseball uh, analogy, Walt Reniak, some of the great hitting instructors ever couldn't hit for shit, you know? Right. Right. They got the eye for what, what good hitting right. looks like, you know. So, yeah. All right, fellas. I mean, again, we could talk forever. Um, I still have a million questions I want to ask, especially Tom, since we just directed our first feature, which. Oh, you did? That's we don't great. have to get into. Gail has seen it. It's a piece of work, but. Uh, <laughs> it's always very, very much different than Dead Poet Society. Well, it's pretty much the opposite of Dead Poet Society, but, which is <laughs> ironic considering where our hearts What's are. the name of it? Can I see it? Yeah, a trailer will play after this episode. It's called Cactus Jack. Um, you okay. can ask Gene about it, our mutual friend. It's, uh, it's a very specific Jack. thing. We set out to make a movie about what horrifies us, a horror movie. Wow. In this age of language and rhetoric as violence. You know what I mean? So it's about a white supremacist, and it's wow. probably the most unhinged, unfiltered depiction of hate you've ever heard because we felt that we don't want to judge even this character as a writer you know what i mean we want to humanize even this worst person which i know is a dangerous tightrope to walk but we felt to judge him or to cut him off so the hate speech is kind of indulgent is what i'm going to say gail can speak to this it's a tsunami of hate speech that just runs you know, 20 straight minutes or whatever of him just ranting. It's like he's holding you captive right. to some degree. But we feel that if you were to just say, all right, we made our point economically as filmmakers and cut out that it's a form of judgment on the character and it doesn't speak to the horror of it. The horror of it is it's a guy locked in a basement with this hate monger. So you should feel wow. as if you're imprisoned with it and everything. Anyway, it's a fucked up, horrible movie that Many people will yeah. not understand, and we knew that going in. We made it for like twenty five grand and shit. But uh, cool. I, I, I just want to say, there's a million questions to ask you, who essentially studied under Peter Weir, observing him like that, and who directed your own film. But maybe you can come back someday to talk about directing or something. We don't want to keep yeah. you guys all night, um, unless you want to say something. But Gail, I don't know if uh, you're ready to go or what. I would say that that Cactus Jack. Um, it's like what the Cohen brothers said about uh, their villain in in uh, No Country for Old Men. Sugar. Hard bark on it. Yeah. Um, I mean, you guys are unflinching, and I the one thing that I thought was most um, compelling 
was um, the person who, like you said, is trapped in the, not trapped, but voluntarily in the mm -hmm. basement with this cat, discovering this thing. It's careful what you ask for, you might just get it. And it, it, it reminded me of the first time I read Interview with the Vampire and how this, mm, you know, young kid goes and, mm, yeah, up, yeah. you know, Lestat the Vampire to go, you know, uh, hang out with him and, and, and um, get his story. <laughs> yeah. Play with, play with magic to get burned. Yeah, exactly. yeah. yeah it's, a, it's a different kind of movie, but again, we're making it completely outside of the system. More in no the vein oversight. of a taxi drivers, you know, a yeah, talk radio meets American person. History X meets taxi driver kind of thing. So uh, it, it's fucked up. It's not for everybody. It's super triggering, but with intent. Can you send me a link or is it? Is there yeah, a... I'll send you a link. For okay, sure. cool. Okay. Um, cool. It's completely self-distributed and shit. But the point, I wasn't even I trying to plug our own shit. Yeah. The point was, I just had so much I want to talk to you about as a director as well and what you learn as a screenwriter in directing. But uh, again, maybe for another time. Yeah. What's I'm, your favorite I'm, movies? <laughs> yeah. Do you guys want to say what your favorite movie is? I don't know. Do you have a favorite? Is it? Can you pick one? Yeah. <laughs> It'd be hard. I mean, I, I just, you know, I have movies from various eras, I think, you know, uh -huh. in my, in my early days, I think Casablanca was my, uh -huh. movie, you know, and I still think I revere okay. it, but, yeah. uh, uh, you know, and then I kind of moved to, it's a wonderful life. And then I moved to a whole bunch of European films and, and Japanese films, mm -hmm. anything Kurosawa did, you know, but, but, uh, 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 Ikaru, I think, of his probably hit me the hardest, you know, and probably in some sense has a connection to Dead Poets Society with that, mm. that character who finds out he's dying and what is he going to do with, you know, what the time he has remaining. So amazing. And then, you know, then you get into Groundhog Day and The Godfather. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. just, you know. But, Actually, yeah. I heard that Bill Murray was also considered for Keating at some point. Do you know anything about no, that? No, not in front of me. Okay. Michael Keaton. Michael you had him for what about Bob? At least, man. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Dreyfus yeah, connection there too. Look at these rumors yeah. came out of that movie. Yeah. yeah. So, Gail, favorite movies at all? Cactus uh, Jack, I know. Other than that, <laughs> I think coming of age, studying, you know, as an actor, it was uh, Tender Mercies because that's Beautiful. like to me the quintessential um, Meisner actor doing a seamless Meisner technique performance. Um, but as I've gotten to this point in my life, it, absolutely, it's um, about time, just because of the father-son thing, you know, yeah. and I mean, I've said it before, I would, if I had a time machine when I was younger, I, and I could just use it for two things, you know, when I was younger, I'd, I'd, I'd go see a classic ball game with Murderer's Row in Yankee yes. Stadium, nice warm fall day. And the other one would be an evening on um, Central Avenue watching all the great, you know, jazz players like Ella and Louie and Nat King Cole and Miles, you know, and just spend a night there. But now I'd go back once each and 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 be a dad to my kids and when they were young. I miss it. Yeah. I was very, very, very deliberate about about being there, being present. And uh, and raising them, and it's best thing I ever did with my life. Be a dad. I'm in the thick of that now, and I can concur. And I'm somebody who my entire life 
my worst nightmare was the responsibility of fatherhood. And we had a dad who took off when I was like two or three and didn't hear from until years later when we were, you know, in our late thirties or 40. And, uh, my son came along, you know, like up there with like Fukushima on the accident scale, nothing I ever want anything to do with, but is by far the most meaningful thing I could ever imagine. And I'm in the thick of it now. And I kind of have a anxiety about what you talked about going through the empty nesting and whatever already I can imagine. Like he's, I, I watch him grow and it's like, uh, soon he's going to be a teenager and then he's going to be gone. It's creepy. It's weird. Dude, I panicked the first time my oldest didn't need me to hold the bottle. <laughs> right. <laughs> too, too quick, too quick. So yeah. you needed to be needed. I needed anything but being needed, but I found um, something in it, you know. Uh, you're making me really sad because mine have been gone for, you know, years now, and it's just you never get over it. I mean, you get used to see, it. You never get see, over I it. never had kids, and that's exactly why. See, I didn't have to subject yeah. myself to... Mine are 32 and 26. Wow. How did they react to you going to Burning Man? They thought it was funny. They just they didn't think. <laughs> Were I they surprised it. or? No, I think they they made a bet on how many how long I would last. And how long <laughs> would last. <laughs> so uh, they uh, they were shocked, but they gave him the Molly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and then he sold it at Burning Man, made a buck. <laughs> what, what are they up? What are they up to now? Both uh, aspiring documentarians working as. Oh, cool. Yeah, uh, you know, sort of in the trenches working for other people who are making documentaries and mm. sort of hoping to do their own, you know, but also kind of coming to the realization that it's a really rough, you know, the, the filmmaking world is just a rough world anyway. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they have all kinds of ideas of their own and they're, you know, stymied as all of us are by, you know, the the powers that be and what, what the algorithms want versus what, what we want to do. So it, it's, uh, uh, but, you know, I'd say they're, they're fulfilled in the sense that they have, they have something they're passionate about, you know, and, uh, that's all you can ask really as a parent, right? Yeah. 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 So, uh, and they're definitely off on their own tracks with their own way of thinking. And I see the stuff they're interested in and just don't get it and would never pretend to say, I don't, you know, they know I don't get it, but I, you know, I can't, you I, can't judge. I can't guide the younger generation and, you know, mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not in that, in that world. So I know it's a whole different know. minefield now. How unkeating of you. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, uh, uh yeah. well, we know the real message in the movie, right? right. Yeah, that's right. Do you get to see them often? Yeah, they're here in LA, but you know, because of COVID and you know, they want to be really careful that you know they don't give it. We we're we socially distance visit mm-hmm. sometimes once a week, usually once every other week or so. And you know, it's uh my my younger son and I met at a park and played guitar for a couple hours together and you know, just that kind of thing. And, uh, Love it. You know, and then listen, but but you know, they're still particularly the older one is at that sort of knife's edge age where he kind of is really worried about his future and what you know because if you're in this business it it can just you know it i I can remember thinking wow i'm 31 years old i don't really have you know i i don't know where i I, i'm usually i'm getting a little work but nothing's getting made and i have no other option that feeling you know i can't go back to medical school i can't go to law school you know 
I'm I'm in this, and this could be a very sad road if I, you know. But that's that's that's. Hey man, the, take an Uber in uh, LA and ask the guy if he's a WGA member, right? Right. Exactly. <laughs> well, somebody somebody told me, and I never saw it that that the they put a, a crew outside of a restaurant called Morton's that used to be a fairly hot uh, industry restaurant, and they asked everybody walking out, "How's the screenplay going?" And no <laughs> one said, no one said. I'm not writing a screenplay. Right. That all, is hilarious. We've got a few in development, but <laughs> everyone and their grandmother. Exactly. So, uh, but that's you know, that's, that's that's true for podcasts now. Everyone in their mailman has a podcast. <laughs> yeah, right. Look at us. Um, I, yeah. I did. What do you think of? You said they were making documentaries. Chris and I have this term. I think there's some little contention here, but I think Natasha Leggero, the comedian, had coined a term on a podcast: make 'em ups once like she doesn't yeah. watch make em ups she just watches documentaries right right do you ever feel some kind of like what am i doing <laughs> impossible <laughs> like we'd face this oh. with the make em up sometimes like what the fuck are we doing because that speaks the to to the documentaries that you know your children are working on like I, as create as a creator i tend to consume documentaries more and more and just like history and etc it informs the fiction yeah I'm, I'm less a consumer of my own type of material and more interested in right. the real world. You and it supplies so. to Gail too, as an actor, you know, to approximate mm -hmm. what a uh, real human might go through in a situation, but it's all a make them up. It's all playing right. pretend. Like, it's like, right. when you pretend, think back to right. the campfire, the function of that in the campfire society was mm -hmm. huge and it's cathartic and everything. Yeah. But now that in we have- ways, it's the most resonant thing possible. Yeah, but we have so many different ways to now communicate that it's almost like, if I have something to say, why say it through these characters, through this proxy mm -hmm. story? Why not just why not say just it on a say podcast? It, right. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, well there's relevance to that, I think, to that question and then how you do it, you know. But but it is just a question of the function of your story and what you want it to do, and then where where will it most effectively do it? You know, yeah, it, it was easy. You, you it was access. easy when I was coming up because really movies or or network television that was it. So, you know, there were no podcasts, you know, radio right. was passe at that point. It was all music. Mm -hmm. So you tell stories. This is how you'll tell your stories. You know, mm -hmm. that's now. And there's This is pre-TV golden age, even where movies was really where it was at to truly, right. for the most yeah. part, resonate, you know. Well, there had been a golden age in the 50s or what they call right. the golden age, you know, but I, I wasn't around for that. So the the next golden age was ahead. And, you know, so, mm -hmm. but now, as you say, there's podcasts, there's even radio again and and yeah. you know journalism i mean oh. journal, yeah multiple you know the internet has opened that that whole yeah. thing up so you know telling the stories and the function and the effect of your story is really you know i mean in my world at the time you know i was always thinking i just, if i have what i think is is something to say i want to reach as many people with it as i can i don't want to dilute the idea to do that to get there but i do want to you know that you know the ambition is is you know megalomaniacal <laughs> you know? it's just the weird but, the trappings that we put in let's dress it up in this pageantry right. of make-believe and or the make em ups versus just yeah. again coming on a podcast and making your fucking point about how society because all films thematically best work as a thesis with an antithesis that kind of the viewer arrives at this hegelian synthesis you know but uh it feels just kind of like masturbatory or something and get, not yeah. to keep going there. To, I, don't, I don't think so. It can I, move you in a different way. This is just a Woody Allen-esque neuroticism. I, I, about I, I, think that we, that, I mean, you may not have access to the real story that is as powerful as the thing you'd make up to, to make the point, right? Mm -hmm. And if the make them up 
and this is, I think, Gail's world where the acting, you know, where every everything has that sense of of real truth to it, you know, to yeah. make them up. Then the resonance is it, it may be made up as a story, but it, you know, it's it's using all the pieces of, of humanity. And they have to all ring true, or the make them up is not going to. It's just well, all flat. True. I'll say the brotherhood I feel for like my boys here, Jay and and Sean. I I in this film, even just watch watching it again a couple of days ago, you know, in preparation for this, I felt more brotherhood between these characters than I have in any like war film or sports film or anything. These these guys, I really just felt like. So it was like a spiritual was a con- awakening they were undergoing yes. instead of duress they shared or something. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, and, uh, yeah well, I remember one of the things I was proud of was how after I saw the movie, because I don't think I sensed it when I was writing it, was how much I felt like these boys these cared about each other, you know? Mm-hmm. And that was something that, that just was not in my mind when I wrote it, but I came out thinking, wow, that, that must've been there because it's there. So, yeah. and uh, of course the actors too pulled that off, you know, well, that's, so, yeah. Uh, but I mean, just uh, say, you got me going uh, now. I feel like I'm going to keep asking questions until you say, I got to go. All right, you just, childhood just, friends. Just go have, when you're done. <laughs> do you have any friends that you think you might've should have kept up with better or have kept up with your entire life as we would like to think as fans at the dead poets, some of them at least did, you know, now, obviously the crew I mean, dylan and gail and al they still keep in touch yeah you know? yeah i you know unfortunately as other projects come in you sort of you you form a family with mm-hmm. one and then you know everybody goes off into another family and you know you always feel the closeness and the the bond and when you get back together it's there immediately so, I mean, even from your scholastic days like, oh yeah you know, well strangely i mean i think COVID is has helped with that because uh-huh. I found myself yeah. zooming with guys yeah. that I was in high school with. We hadn't talked know. to Sean in twenty years, yeah. really. Chris visited him once, but <laughs> one one yeah. of whom is one of whom is Greenfield Pitts, whose name I used for the movie. That's you know? amazing. And, uh, <laughs> and I always thought uh, I always thought he was going to be pissed off at me because unfortunate you know, last uh, name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he's perfectly uh, fine with it. You know, so. Another unfortunate That's name, great. Mr. Yeah, Meeks. Exactly. Yes, Pitts. You so, know, me, me and I, I just started uh, hanging with Dylan and Al probably about four years ago. Oh, interesting. Um, I had lost touch with everybody and I was, uh, I ran into Dylan. He was out on, on San Vicente and, and uh, no, it was Beverly and uh, little Santa Monica. And he was walking with um, uh, Corey, uh, Chris McCorry. And, oh, and it was like, you, I need to, I'm <laughs> looking for you. So we kind of started, you know, hanging out after that nice. occasionally. And then uh, his 50th birthday was about three weeks ago. And his wife and sister set up a Zoom. And and uh, I was 15 minutes late. I'm <laughs> usually late for things. Yeah, he was late this time, so you got it on him. He was, he texted me. He was like, "You have to get your ass in here now." And, and I was like, "Whoops!" So I logged in, and Bobby Robertson Leonard was there. Jamie uh, uh, Waterston was there. Uh, unfortunately, Josh Charles had just logged out. So it was everybody but Ethan uh, for for quite a while. It's Knox Overstreet. Twenty minutes, and um, it was just 
it was amazing. It was like we all fell all over each other, apologizing for losing touch. Um, but the friendship was was like yesterday. You know, I hadn't seen Bobby since ninety two. Uh, wow. James since eighty nine ninety. You think COVID though played an instrumental role in that, as far as? everyone getting back together? Or do you think it was just the serendipity sure. of running into each other on the street regardless? I mean, uh, obviously just, Zoom and technology. Just, but. just like what Tom was saying, COVID, you know, nobody was doing anything, so they mm -hmm. get on. on, on and uh, social media in general emerging, no. like my brother, Jay and I, uh, our dad left when we were very young and we didn't, we didn't know where he was for 30 years. You know, he could be dead for all we knew. We heard rumors that he had twin daughters. And then thanks to Facebook, his twin daughters found us you know, wow. a few years ago, and we reconnected with our dad that we hadn't seen for, like I said, 30 plus years. Wow. And wow. He just passed away recently. So we, we got a chance to see him and, and be with him for a while before that. So uh, before Facebook, you know, it may have never happened. It's crazy the way. Yeah, with all the negatives of social media, it's like, it's a tool like any other that we can abuse or misuse. But if we use it right, we can do these things. You can reconnect with mm -hmm. old friends who you named characters after and scripts that you won an oscar for you know it's fucking crazy <laughs> and uh, you can run into your castmates and you know mm -hmm. rekindle that little kinship you had it's fucking awesome yeah. we can talk to sean who we hadn't spoken to and i haven't seen this dude's face live for 20 years man it's crazy right. well, we don't even have to smell each other's breath or anything we just right kind of which is <laughs> a good thing with sean trust me like when working on our film we we actually had ah, that's funny uh we were working with our colorist and editor and stuff you know uh via zoom you know and and like you know you could be in you know, looking at the screen together and you're not over each other's shoulder and you know you could just like it's kind of a magical thing in its own way yeah, it's fortuitous. I'm sure the Spanish flu sucked way worse than this. Oh, for sure. <laughs> no, I meant the technology more than yeah, the COVID. Same because of the technology, it sucked yes. worse. Yeah. yeah. Yes, yes. All right, now I have to go. I have my mother-in-law. Yes, here. I know. I feel like I don't want to keep anyone captive like Cactus Jack, but at the same yeah, time. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that, though. That sounds All right. Like well, so. hopefully we'll talk again after it, or you won't just <laughs> hide from us. <laughs> Thank you, Tom. Thank you for Thank making all of this possible. Yes, Thank Tom, you, Dale. I appreciate we bow down to the writer whose brain this all springs from, like Aphrodite from oh, the surf. Yes. We yes. are not worthy. Thank, thank you, guys. Thank you very much. I really uh, appreciate it. Truly an honor right. and a privilege. Thanks, all man. Right. Peace. All right. Thank Take you, care, thank, you. thank you. And then there was one. Mad. <laughs> What's up, Gail? You got to take off? Yeah. Yeah, it's about time. Thank you very much, Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Chris. Jay. Thank you. Love you, man. You are the best, truly. Uh, yeah, I remember meeting no, you in uh, at Relativity. That's where Jay and I met you. You were I think the, it was the second there. meeting we ever went on as writers. Yes. As you we were like, did. are you guys funny? Go. Yeah. But yeah, we we were, it was surreal for us because you, uh, now, as you know, Dead Poets was so formal. And, and we're like, what, what, we're meeting fucking Nuanda? This is insane. I know you're humble about that. And I love that about you. It's one of the things yes. that makes you such a sweet, awesome fucking dude. But I mean, you got to realize that character is iconic and the way you embodied it and brought what you brought to it, it just made it that much better. Again, I wouldn't have cast anyone else. None of those other guys they talked about. Sam Rockwell, you're the shit. This guy will forever be Nuanda and should have been all along. Yeah, I appreciate Absolutely. it.
I, uh, when I was at Relativity, I was working on a, a, a project, better part of a year. And this one guy who was formerly at, at Disney, Chip Diggins, great guy. Great name. Um, he, uh, <laughs> you know, side by side in these meetings, story meetings, blah, 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 forever, you know, and going on almost a year. <laughs> and he's, he comes into me, he sits down, he just looks at me like, <laughs> he just figured it like, out. He's angry, you know, like, you mother. <laughs> and I was looking at me, he goes, Themes, he's like, seriously, I was sitting next to you for a year and you didn't tell me? I'm like, Charlie oh, fucking Dalton. He's like, I worked at Disney during the, when the film was happening. I can't believe I've like, been with you for a year and didn't realize it. I feel like, you know, I was like, you know, come on. We're going to do every day, show the, I would, show the chest. Yeah, work, face but... paint, just, I, right. I, I never, never really ate out on it, guys. I, you know, I would really feel like a carpenter gets hired to hammer nails. And once the, once the building's built, I don't own it. I can't live in it. Got to walk away, you know? I'm and telling because, you, that's just testimony to what a beautiful soul you are. Cause man, I would yeah. milk the shit out of Charlie Dalton. <laughs> no shit. I'd be like, this is Charlie Dalton table for two. Charlie Dalton, my Wanda, bitch. Name. Yeah, I'd be wearing that lightning bolt every time I go out. <laughs> I wouldn't really, but it's funny. It's, it's the it's the Twitter crowd that that brought me around, especially the LBTQIA, mm -hmm. um, who you know helped me realize that you know it it ain't about me. My 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 embracing it um, gives them a place to ground themselves, and and that sense of inclusion matters. And um, for so many years, I was like, kind of like distanced myself from it. I was like, just, I'm glad you like the movie. It had nothing to do with me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and it's very much like Alan Swan in my favorite year where, you know, it, the kid finally goes, you know, when he says, you know, I'm not, 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 uh, uh, I'm not a hero. I'm an actor. And, and Marklin Baker says, yeah, that's where you're wrong. You were all those things to me, and yes. and we need our heroes wherever we can get them, because the rest of us don't get to live out that life, you know. I'm about to cry. And it it dawned on me that it was in my desire to stay humble. Um, it was disrespectful for the people who hungered for um, validation, and they don't get any. And so, you know, I slowly but surely kind of got over myself to be able to embrace them, embracing it. And, um, yeah, it's sort and of like what, a role what a neat legacy, inspirational, yeah, yeah. legacy. It, yes. it, it's still not about me, but it's, you know, it's, 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 it's a legacy and it's like, you know, I give something I can, for other people to strive for. Yeah. Know, I can be in service of it for them. And, mm -hmm. and it's important. It's no different than than teaching Meisner technique to to you know uh, traumatized uh, military vets suffering P PTSD. Um, if you got any, if you, I mean, I would love to find a way to to if any of them have potential for a particular role or something, you know, oh, yeah, they do. we can find, yeah. I mean, Oh yeah, man, I'm a maybe, vet too. We We're all about helping that out. A lot of, yeah. A lot of our, uh, our stepfather was an air force man. And like uh, you said, military, you know, kind yeah. Of like great the, the great Santini, you know, definitely rings true for us. Um, yeah. yeah. So, and a lot of our writing involves, 
that world mechanics so yeah. mechanics fill yeah. hearts you know we, we have a lot of projects that could have potential for for actors in that that vein you know yeah, yeah man you, you need them i got them all right beautiful sounds good man I'm, I, on that note what you were just talking to though uh, i'll say when i was in chemo i remember one thing this counselor you'd said to me that really resonated he said you know the one thing you can do is let others help you like letting them help you I struggle with is that a service a to them because your <laughs> yeah. pride is going to tell you i can do it i don't need help and all that mm -hmm. but you're giving them a gift by letting them help you because they feel Absolutely. helpless and, and i feel like what you're talking about is sort of that with re-embracing the role that you're it feels akin to that you know what i mean yeah. that for it's all these mutual. people here yeah you're acknowledging it and helping help them, which is amazing. And to all those people you're talking about in that community, you heard about our film Cactus Jack, massive trigger warnings for it. You might want to not watch it, but if you do, just know that we are completely allies yeah. and that it's a horror movie at its heart that yeah. we just wrote what horrifies us more than yeah. anything. Well, I mean, the fact of matters is, is if you would have done it, I was going to say with Tom there that, that if you would have done it as a documentary, it would have been unwatchable. Right. Uh, right. If it were too real. Right? Like, <laughs> no, yeah. it would be unwatchable because it's real. And, and right. the mm. thing about watching it, uh, a character, you know, the guy, the actor is just marvelous at it. He's amazing. Seamless, but you know, it's an actor acting, yes. you know, it's fictional. And you know, ripped from the pages of real life today, but you have the 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 um the glass between you and the reality, as opposed to you know um mm -hmm. you know watching a snuff film, right? Um, right. And you know, I'm very much in, I prefer documentaries as well because I don't have I to. I was hoping you would say snuff films. I don't have to slice and dice. I much prefer snuff films. <laughs> Seriously. My favorite documentaries. <laughs> Go ahead. I don't have to filter reception of what's real. I just have to figure out the bias of the film. Exactly. Say, you know, this is still mm -hmm. real. Um, as opposed to, you know, fictional accounts, screenplays, and TV stuff now that's, you know, everything is 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 so scrutinized now that we're getting to the point where you're not going to be able to be cast in anything but an autobiography where you play yourself. Um, because because right. it's so everything triggering. else is appropriation or something. Yeah. It's so triggering for everybody about everything now. Well, the life. reality is triggering. Reality, the human history yeah. and the story of humanity is triggering. That's what we are a triggering species, you know. That's partly why it's we horrible. chose Cactus Jack as a subject is a rejection of all of that to say, you know, like the only thing limiting you is reacting to those people, you know, right. to, to try and cancel yeah. you. You make yourself uncancelable, you know, you just you put your shit out there. And I mean, you may not like work in the system that way, but mm -hmm. when it comes to art and when it comes to, you know, just protecting that that uh, ability, I mean, one of the most sacred things as a writer is to be able to to get in mm -hmm. other people's heads or an actor is to assume the role of someone that you're not that's kind of the definition mm -hmm. you know there's also the thing of uh, it, exposure it was, therapy it, too it, it was. yes yeah so it, that was the thing it's not and and our society is changing that yeah um you know it's just it's no different than you know 
the plays of 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 you know Greece and early Rome, mm -hmm. holding a mirror, a mirror as it were, yeah. to society and and holding truth to power through humor. Eventually, people were like, you know, I don't want that so much as I just want to see you, um, you know, uh, feed uh, killable kind of people to starving animals. <laughs> and and that's real. And, I, you know, and it mm -hmm. fills the seats. And that's where we're at, man. And and it's, you know, it's society is, is you know, changing you know, the, like you said, the catharsis, the medicinal um, use of, of what we do as artists, you know, I've always believed that writers, directors, actors are, are shaman, medicine mm -hmm. people for mm -hmm. the society that they're in. Oracles. And we can says. address and, and, and thereby um, help heal what, what ails a society, the one we're in. And we're at the point now where, you know, nobody's willing to allow that medicine to be delivered. Better medicine um, sometimes. You know, healing through metaphor. It, it's now, it's got to be absolutely real. And, you you know, mm. you can only play yourself. And it's... Um, it's tricky. You know, it's, it's when you're throwing out the medicine, you know, the, the society's only going to get sicker. Uh -huh. Ego and identity seem to be the, the plagues right now of, of society that people yeah. define each other as by their identity and they're too caught up in their own egos. Like Charles Manson said, ego is a too much thing. <laughs> it's just people are just it's the best guy to call up when it comes. To <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, that's partly why I do it because of the like mm -hmm. ironic the irony of it. But Of course. Well, yeah, we'll say to close this out that I mean, oh, we're about peace, love, happiness to everyone, solidarity. I mean, let's draw our circles. I remember listening to this song. You know, Jadena, the hip hop guy. Uh, Jadena, he's a hip hop That's artist. Awesome. But he has a song that starts with this African parable that says, Some men draw a circle around themselves. Some men draw a circle around their family. Some men draw a circle around the whole world. You know? So all we would say is, let's all draw our circles as big as possible. Yep. Yeah. I like that. So love you, Gail. You're yeah. the fucking man. Uh, I wish I could Talk give you guys about... a real hug. I know, I know. I'm going to reach through the screen. Bear hug. Thanks for bringing everybody together. For Mr. Sure. Hanson, thank you very much. Thanks for your help you, in all that. Yeah, Mr. Hanson and Hanson. Holy oh, shit. How long oh, shit. Long lost. <laughs> right. Have either of you to done honest, 23 and me? <laughs> I don't know my my biological father, so I don't know that side of Hanson. So I, I, we may be long lost cousins. You guys need a twenty three and me. We'll do that for a future episode. We'll probably goes with the envelope. It probably goes back to Denmark because the E N O N is Swedish. Yep. The E N is is Danish, and that's a much more limited patriarchy uh origin than um uh the others so. well if you go far back enough we're all african so right true we're all, we all connected mitochondrial eve cheers love you <laughs> love you gail you're the man let's work together yes. on something down the road for sure. definitely the future is bright yes it is thank you very Seize much the for day. having me
Carpe diem, barbaric yops to go out. John, are you taking off? <laughs> Bye, Gal. Love you, man. Bye. Sean, Bye, guys. Uh, what do you think? Wait, wait, wait. What do you think of that? I feel like we kind of bamboozled you. We're hey, come on, <laughs> our show and talk, but instead we threw all these people at you, so you didn't talk at all. That's okay. Now's your chance. All right. And they're not the most demonstrative dude. I wasn't expecting like large Marge eyes and shit when they came out, but <laughs> hopefully you enjoyed that surprise. Because freaking uh, seriously, I did. That was awesome. Um, <laughs> blew our minds as it came that was together. A treat for me, like, dude. But, but to, <laughs> to have the opportunity to, to to listen to them talk about mm. how the the movie was put together and and the thing. <laughs>